If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, call the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. Again, if you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, call the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. Good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa mi amigos, namaste, shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, Wendell's World of Sports, this is Wendell Wallace, there's something I want to say before I go ahead and I start the podcast, there's always something that I always like to ask before I get into what's happening in the world of sports, before I take you on this journey of what's happening currently in the world of sports, I always ask you, I always say, hey, man, what's happening? Number one, how are you doing? Are you doing good? Are you feeling fine? Are you doing everything that needs to be done to go ahead and make this world, to make your block, to make your neighborhood, to make your household, to make your wife, to make your husband, to make your children, to make your aunts, to make your grandparents, whatever you uh, have a relationship with, whoever you come in contact with, are you doing everything that needs to be done to move the society in a positive direction through love, through peace, through unity, through understanding, through respect? Are you doing everything that you need to do to possibly go ahead and touch somebody who might be of a different skin color than you, different race than you, different gender than you, different background than you, different um, financial background than you, worshiping a different God, loving another person, a different person than you normally would? Are you doing everything that you need to do to listen, to learn, to shut up to listen, to learn, and then take the knowledge that they give you and pass it along so the younger generation and then their generation and then their generation can go ahead and truly live in a world, truly live in a country, truly live in a society that's based on the content of your character, not the color of your skin, not your gender, not who your political affiliation is, not by who you love, not by how much money you have in your bank account, not by how much privilege you have because of your race, not because of your status as a symbol in terms of excellence, in terms of the superficial of how beautiful you are, how skinny you are, how strong you are, how athletic you are, how beautiful you look. Are you doing everything that needs to be done to do that? And I always ask that question, and <clears throat> you know, I'm always hopeful in this society that we, we can move forward. That we can go ahead and brick by brick, little by little, minute by minute, second by second, day by day, we can do these things. So possibly, it's too late for my generation. It's too late for our generation, for those of my age who are listening to this. Too late. And I'm putting myself in that category. It's too late for me to truly live in a society. I'm part of the problem in terms of wanting to live in a utopian society where truly everybody is based on the content of their character and not anything else. I'm part of the problem, so I'm not excluding myself from being part of the problem, but I'm damn sure trying to do everything I can to rectify that. So while my generation won't have the opportunity through ignorance, through privilege, through selfishness, through um, narrow-mindedness, through unopen-mindedness, because we have those things baked into our generation to where we're truly not going to be able to accept everybody based on content of character. We're still going to be basing people on the color of their skin, where they live, what gender they have, who do they love, those type of things. Because my generation is too incapable 
to go ahead and make those changes. The best that we can do is to try and influence our children and their children and their children to go ahead and see what we can do to truly try to make this world a better place based on who they are as human beings in terms of their character. But when I see something that's happening that I saw the other day in Utah, out here in the divided, racist, ignorant states of America, it just once again reinforces the fact that, yeah, we've come a long way in this country in terms of overcoming oppression, overcoming discrimination, and moving away from segregation, and truly getting to a society that is more based on who you are as a person, not by all the other things that I just mentioned. But there's still such a long, long, long way to go. Long way to go with this. A report of widespread race-based harassment at Davis High School in the Davis High School School District, not surprising to families who live there. A new report from the United States Department of Justice finds a persistent failures to respond to reports of race-based harassment of black and Asian American students by district staff and other students. In a settlement in a stormy in a um, in a settlement with the DOJ, the school district will comply to a sweeping five-year improvement plan. Again, Davis School District, which is located, I guess, in northern Utah, north of uh, Salt Lake City. There are more than 73,000 students across nearly 100 schools in the Davis School District. The Department of Justice interviewed more than 200 similar reports spanning from 2015 to 2020 across dozens of schools in the Davis School District. Documents from the investigation revealed the district was deliberately indifferent to the racially hostile climate in many of its schools, the majority of the schools, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out there and make an ass of you and me by saying majority of the schools. The investigation found hundreds of examples of student-on-student -student harassment. Some of these include white students calling their black peers the N-word, calling them niggers, telling them their skin color, uh, telling them their skin looks dirty or that their skin look like feces. There are also reports of students harassing Asian American classmates. Gee, I wonder where they got that stupidity and ignorance from. This also included name calling. The reports say some examples include calling students yellow, squinty, or telling them to go back to giant China. Gee, I wonder where they got that from. I wonder where these fucking kids got that bullshit from. Some of these instances happening as in grades as low as kindergarten. Kindergarten. Five-year-olds saying this shit where in the fuck do they get that from where do they get that ignorance where do they get that stupidity where do they get that intolerance where do they get that from kindergartners first graders elementary school kids where do they get that from they ain't getting it from each other they're not being born with that bullshit that's not ingrained in them that ignorance that stupidity is not ingrained in them where are they learning that nonsense where are they learning that stupidity from the society that we live in and the adults who are running it. And that's just been a widespread deal in the Davis School District in Utah, northern Utah. The report also outlines staff on student harassment. This includes, but not limited to, targeting and assaulting students of color, ridiculing students in front of their peers, endorsing harmful stereotypes from people of color in class, retaliating against students of color for reporting harassment. Damn, it seems like when your motherfucking president got into office that you motherfuckers became kind of bold with your ignorance and with your racism, with your oppression, with your discrimination. Man, that piece of shit that you motherfuckers put in the White House, man, they emboldened you pretty pretty good, didn't they? 
Now, of course, you ain't doing it down in the Clark County School District. Of course, you're not doing it in a school district where there's a little bit more diversity. You cowards aren't doing some shit like that. You're going to go to a predominantly white school district and talk that bullshit and talk that nonsense, knowing that you fucking cowards really aren't going to have to pay the consequences for the words that you speak, you fucking cowards. You fucking ignorant cowards. Unbelievable. In all cases, the report indicates the district took little to no action when students or parents made formal complaints. Ten-year-old, uh, yeah, so, um, and this this um, goes to the story that I read where a ten-year-old girl, black girl, dies by suicide after she was bullied at school over autism and race. That's what her family said. A North Salt Lake City family is calling for answers as they mourn the death of their 10-year-old daughter who took her own life over the weekend this past weekend after experiencing bullying at school. I'm in the classroom, man. I'm in the classroom and I've been in the classroom from pre-K all the way up to college-age kids. As a teacher, how in the fuck can you allow a student to be bullied? To me, that's just as important as teaching the ABCs and the one, two, threes, man. That's more important, I think, than teaching biology, than teaching chemistry, than teaching algebra two, than teaching physics. To me, the most important thing as a teacher, as an administrator, as an adult in a classroom full of minors, is the fact that you make them feel safe and secure. How in the fuck are you going to allow someone to bully another person based on their race or based on the fact that they're autistic, of a physical uh, disability? Or a challenge. How in the hell as a human being, how in the hell as an adult, can you do those type of things? Don't give me some bullshit about, well, you know, kids are going to be kids. And, you know, I went through it and we all experienced it. And that's the way it goes. Bullshit. Bullshit. I know the difference between kids having fun with each other, cutting on each other, joning on each other. That type of thing. And mean-spirited, ignorant, racist uh, bullshit like this. Unbelievable. And these teachers, these adults... These scumbags, these cowards, these spineless bastards, let it happen. And they still got to keep their jobs. They still got to keep their jobs. Now a 10-year-old, a beautiful 10-year-old girl, um, for her, um, let me see, what was the name of her? this girl? Um, Isabella, let me see, the girl's mother, Brittany uh, Tichenor, said her daughter, Isabella Faith Tichenor, was frequently bullied and belittled at school. This according to a statement released by the family. Her nickname was Izzy. So according to the statement, she was an easy target, especially after a teacher joined in mocking this young lady. As any parent would, we reported this abuse to her teachers, the school administrators, and the district administration. Nothing, nothing was done to protect Izzy. Nothing was done to protect Izzy. Children did not have their behavior corrected, so the torment of this child continued day after day. You know what I'd love to do? I would love to find out who that teacher is in class. And I fucking guarantee you, I will make her life a goddamn miserable walking hell every fucking single day that she walks into that classroom, that she walks around in that in, in that uh, in that town that she lives in. I will mock, I will bully, I will do everything humanly possible so she can feel how it is for that innocent ten-year-old girl what she went through, what she allowed day after day, day after day, until it got to the point where this poor girl killed herself. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Tyler Ahrens, an attorney for the family, said Izzy was bullied for being African-American as well as autistic. Brittany reported the bullying multiple times and no action 
was taken. Iris said the girl's sibling, who also attended Foxborough Elementary School in North Salt Lake, when are we going to start protesting up there? Have been referred to with the N-word this year. The offending student was not disciplined in any way. We are investigating the school's lack of response. We cannot say more about it at this time. Where does a goddamn elementary school kid pick up the N-word? In North Salt Lake City. Where in the hell are these people running around calling, thinking it's cool to call this girl nigger in terms of, uh, in terms of hurting her? In terms of bullying her, in terms of uh, making her feel bad, in terms of discriminating against her. How does a elementary school kid, a 10-year-old kid, how does that happen? How does that fucking happen? If you were someone, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just sad. And it just angers me to no end because this shit is happening all over the fucking uh, country that we live in. And God damn it, I just keep saying, man, we've got to keep going. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep going. And then this shit happens. So um, I'm not stopping. And I don't want you to stop. And I don't want you to stop. And anybody who's listening to this podcast, I don't want you to stop, man. I mean, I'm sorry that I'm getting heated. I'm sorry I'm getting angry. I'm sorry that, you know, I'm kind of raising my voice and getting emotional about this. But my goodness gracious, man, a 10-year-old girl committed suicide. And we have kids of different races going to school to be tormented. As early as kindergarten, long term, what did that do? Not for those who are just being bullied, for those who are the, for those who are doing the bully. What kind of, what kind of tomorrow or future are we raising for our children? What, what is all this about? But yet, one of the main reasons why these parents feel emboldened to go ahead and say this shit and do this shit and teach their children this nonsense is because you voted for a fucking piece of shit racist four years ago, five years ago. Congratulations and some of you stupid motherfuckers can't even wait to try to get that racist piece of shit back in the office. That incompetent buffoon of a fool of an antichrist back in office. That's how fucking stupid you are. That's how fucking long we, a long ways we have to go to really achieve the type of uh, society that we want to live in so hey man you know i'm sorry i apologize for getting uh, worked up about this but uh you know i'm as i mentioned before it's too late for it's too late for me if i thought this was somehow some way going to, i mean I'm, I'm, not, I'm smart enough to realize that this change that i want to happen is it's going to take it's not going to happen in my lifetime and i don't give a damn if i live another 52 years but man we've got to start getting better we have to start getting better we have to start getting better we have to start getting better or we have to start getting better at a much faster pace than we're doing right now so with that being said i'm going to uh go ahead and i want to thank you very much for letting me get that off my chest so i can go ahead and start talking about what's happening in the world of sports take you on this journey on the everyday of what's happening in the world of sports you know i'm even going to put this up on my youtube channel at um wendell's world of sports gonna put this up on my youtube channel so yeah man so go ahead um you know um think about what we need to do think about what you need to do to as i mentioned before even if it's something as small as just your immediate family man even if it's just as little as someone as your friend just as even if it's one person and you feel that how am i going to change a society by talking to one person about this hey man one person is another person is another person let's start the snowball rolling man let's start this thing let's start this conversation let's start this discussion 
truly happening at a faster pace. It's already happening, but we need more people involved in this, man. Put away your privilege. Put away your stupidity. Put away your narrow-mindedness. Put away your thoughts and feelings about how other people should feel and how other people should act. Put away all that nonsense. Let's start communicating so we can begin to start truly loving each other and, again, looking out for those of all races, faces, and places. Please. Please. So with that, let's go ahead and let's start this show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's world is sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening to this podcast. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world. A lot of things to discuss today affecting the world of sports. Good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, mi amigos, namaste, shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa. Wendell's World of Sports, so glad that you could be with us. More than ever, before I go ahead and very quickly touch on the NBA, then go ahead and talk about the NFL, go ahead very quickly talk about college football, and then the main course, speak about the college basketball season in my Georgetown Hoyas. Before I get into any of that, um, as always, I'd like to say, how are you doing? What is happening? What is going on? Um, Are you doing everything that needs to be done? So you can make this world a better place? Are you doing everything that you need to do to have those difficult conversations from those of a different race or a different gender or different uh, financial background, different part of the area where you live, a different God that you worship, a different person that they love. Are you having those conversations so you won't end up like the mindless, brainless, inbreed losers, scumbag, gutless racists of um, the school district out there in Davis County in the north side of Salt Lake City? Are we uh, having those conversations? They're not, obviously. Um, are we doing what we need to do? We should, hopefully. I hope if you heard my uh, little spiel that it, spiel at the uh, beginning of the podcast before I started this podcast, hopefully um, you're just as angry as I am. Hopefully you're just as outraged as I am. Hopefully you're just disappointed as I am, not that I thought that uh, this country could be any better, but uh, you know, when you, when you hear these things the reality of it is just sucks just really sucks, but uh, you can't give up, you're not going to conceit, you're not going to uh, stop trying to do what you need to do, from an individual standpoint I'm not, I'm going to continue to see what I can do to um, move this society in the right direction, I'm going to see what I can do to influence those of ignorance, those of privilege who want to be 
resurrected, who want to change, who want to uh, be healed, who want to grow, who want to mature in their thoughts and their feelings about others who don't look like them, different gender than them, different race, nationality than them. Than them. For those who are open to it, I'm going to go ahead and continue to uh, do that and see what I can do. Hopefully you can too. And it takes uh, just one person to get that ball rolling. It takes one, right? Then two, then four, then eight, then 16, then 32, then 164, then 248, 712, and so on and so forth, right? Civil rights movement didn't start off with a gang of folks. It started off with one person, right? The Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter movement started off with one issue, started off with one person, started off with one idea, right? This country becoming independent of England, right? It took one person, and then the founding fathers, and then Thomas Paine writing Common Sense, and then the uh, uh, the taxes that England and the king was levying on this country for us to finally get to a revolution, right? So it starts with one person and then it snowballs from there, right? So why don't you be that person to go ahead and see what you can do to be a better person in terms of teaching the privileged, teaching the ignorant, teaching uh, those who are still uh, resisting the change that eventually is going to come whether it be in your lifetime, which is not, but in your children's lifetime, your great-great-grandchildren's lifetime, it's coming. It's coming. So do you want to be part of the problem or do you want to be part of the solution? Because, you know, for, for these idiots and for these clowns and for these wayward thinkers and for these folks who live in a society where you don't have to... Um, where you don't have to be open-minded, where you don't have to deal with other folks of diversity, for those for those people who always... who, who, who take that uh, stance... Colin Kaepernick is anti-American. Kneeling is is unnecessary, and all these other all these other stances, which you're wrong in. When history is finally written, you're going to be on the wrong side of it. You're ignorant in that view. You're ignorant in that thinking. You're wrong in that thinking. Now we can debate. We can have a discussion on why. Is it the environment that you live in? Is it because of your upbringing? Is it because the fact that you're not around those type of people and you rely on? people from Fox News or other race-baiting, divisive type of uh, news outlets and such, where you get your information from, where you form these opinions, where you form these stereotypes. We can have that discussion on why you're at the baseline that you're at when it comes to these things, but you're wrong. Take it from a guy who lives in diversity. Take it from a guy from the other side of the tracks in terms of his skin color is concerned. You're wrong. You're wrong. History's gonna tell you you're wrong. Your great-great-grandchildren are going to know that you were wrong. Just like those who thought Martin Luther King was a radical. Those who thought the civil rights movement was nothing. That black folks should have been patient back in the 60s. That they'll get there soon enough so they don't need to march. They don't need to protest. They don't need to do these things. Call Martin Luther King a radical. Call Malcolm X a divider, a divisive person. You're wrong. They were wrong. Just to let you know that whether your parents, your great-grandparents, your grandparents, whatever, living in that area who thought these things, history proved they were wrong. History who thought Muhammad Ali was a bad guy, the worst human being, anti-American and all this kind of stuff, hating white people, divisive person, turned out they were wrong. They were wrong. So for this era, for this generation, with the Kaepernicks, with the... Um, Black Lives Matter movement, with the Me Too movement, with the movement for gays and lesbians, for those type of folks who want to still sit there, 
and live in their environment where they don't have to deal with this nonsense, where they don't have to worry about being pulled over and being harassed by the cops because of the color of their skin. They don't know anybody. They don't work with anybody. They don't live next to somebody. Their children don't communicate or associate with anybody of a different skin color, different race and such, who are being oppressed. And for those who want to get their news from Sean Hannity, from those who want to get their news from AON, for those who want to believe the Rush Limbaugh's and the... Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Clay Travis's of the world. You want to believe that lie? You want to remain ignorant? You want to remain stupid on them things? Be my fucking guest. But remember, your grandkids are going to have to put up with the fact that great, great whoever was fucking wrong when everything is all said and done. So hopefully we can go ahead and get that thing done. All right? Cool. We fine. We good. Let me just go one more thing and then I'll get back into a better mood. Donovan Mitchell and Joe Inglis. In my pre-show, when I'm talking about, remember uh, Izzy Tichador, right? The the woman, uh, the girl, the 10-year-old who killed herself because she was being bullied by her classmates and her teacher did nothing about it because she was uh, black and because she was autistic. I don't know. She thought because I'm autistic, I'm going to go ahead and do this. But because of the vicious, vicious attacks and assaults and being bullied because she was autistic and because she was black, she went ahead as a 10-year-old girl a beautiful 10-year-old girl killed herself. That story in North Salt Lake City, Davis County School District, and whoever that teacher was, whoever that teacher is, I fucking hope that you live a rest of your miserable life. I, I hope that you can look at yourself in the mirror. I'm quite sure the community is just like, hey, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. But Donovan Mitchell and Joe Inglis vowed to help the uh, help the family Izzy Tichenor and fight for change. Thursday morning, Mitchell requested to speak with local reporters so that he could expand on the feelings. What he said was, it's mind-boggling. It's sad. It's flat-out disgusting. Bullying in itself is one thing. But on top of that, people were alerted about the situation by the child, by the parents. No one did... I'm going to get angry against reading this. No one did anything. She was an autistic black... He also should have added beautiful girl. And our job are to inspire and teach our youth to be better than we are. The fact that as adults, people sat there and let this continue to a point where a 10-year-old girl killed herself, that to me doesn't sit right. That doesn't, it doesn't feel right. As a human being, how do you let it go to the point, to that point, especially after being told about it? You can't say you didn't know. You were told. You were told. That Tichnor was a minority, but also required special attention and care struck a chord with the uh, jazz players. Mitchell has a cousin that's autistic. Hassan Whiteside's brother, Nassan, is autistic. And Joe Inglis' son, Jacob, is autistic. And on Wednesday, Inglis said that he had an hour-long conversation with Tichnor's mother, Brittany. They spoke about some of Izzy's experiences and Inglis' fear of sending his son to school. Don't worry, in Davis County, as long as you're not Asian or you're black, you'll be uh, you'll be ahead of the curve. English said that he promised Brittany that he would do whatever he could to support her and her family now, but that he would also do anything he could to make changes locally. Thank you. God bless you, Joe English. Let me tell you something, man. From black folks with white folks, when they ask, how can we help? What can we do? Just use common sense, man. 
and be willing to go across to your community and explain these things to the idiots, explain these things to the privilege, explain these things in terms of folks who don't want to hear it from us because, oh, Sean Hannity said that, you know, you guys are just lazy and you're playing the waste race card and you're part of the woke movement and, you know, you're with BLM and you're with Jamel Hill. So this is a different agenda. So, you know, for, for those folks who want to listen to those race baiting ass clowns like Laura Ingram, like Sean Hannity, like the Bill O'Reilly's, like Rest in Hell, Rush Limbaugh, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like Ted Cruz, like those jackasses on AON. For those who are those who are getting their information, for those race-baiting low-life cretins, maybe Joe Inglis can go ahead and say, look, let me go ahead and tell you the right. And you can't get all of them, but hopefully you can get some of them. And then some of those idiots will go ahead when they become educated and learned that they can go ahead and help those that they're speaking with and so on and so forth and then let that uh, movement start to go in the right direction. But um, that's what we want, man. That's what we need, all right? That's what we need, man. We don't need folks out there. I mean, if you want to march with us, you can march with us. If you want to sacrifice with us, by all means. But, you know, just go back to y'all's neighborhood and try to explain exactly what's happening, what's going on, and see what we can do, see what you can do to uh, join the right, join the movement for what's right. Then it's not black or white, it's what's right. It's not black, yellow, brown, or white, it's what's right. So if you want to be on one side and be wrong on history, that's on you. If you want to go ahead and join the real world, hopefully in a couple of decades, and join a society where we don't judge people based on race, gender, sexuality, and such, then come on in. But uh, I'm still upset about that. I got to get myself back into uh, what's going to be happening in the world of sports. I just wanted to um, throw that out there. So, you know, I normally start with, you know, how you're doing, are you doing everything that you need to do to make this place a better place to be, this, that, and the other. I do that normally, but, you know, I just, again, it's like when you're angry at your child, you want to, uh, you, you know, you can't go in and say good morning, how you doing, love you, have a good day at school type of deal. You can't do it in the same tenor. You can't do it with the same enthusiasm. You can't do it with the same attitude if the night before they pissed you off. You still love them, but you got to give me some time before I get back to, you know, I think you're the greatest and you're wonderful and let me smother you with hugs and kisses. So, <clears throat> you know, right now, just with society in general, I'm just kind of fucking pissed off right now. But, uh, you know, I'll get over it. I'll get over it. We're just going to be looking at the glass half empty, excuse me, the glass half full to continue to uh, change for the better. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us very quickly, man, because, man, this kind of got me started. And um, I want to take a little break, get myself together so I can come back and be Wendell, passionate one, bringing you sports and all this kind of good stuff. So very quickly, let me go ahead and start about the NBA season. There was a lot of things that I wanted to talk about, but I want to thank you very much for allowing me to get what I just said off my chest. I know it took me about 12 minutes to get it out, but you know what? Hey, if you listen to this program, you know I ramble. So, you know, hey, you know, listen at your own risk. The NBA season. So let me go ahead and get that real quick. Uh, played about 12 games so far. Just wanted to uh, kind of give you some thoughts and feelings before I head on the break about the Eastern Conference standings, the Washington Wizards, and the Chicago Bulls still tied for first place with eight and three records. The Brooklyn Nets winning six of their last seven, number three seed at eight and four, starting after starting eight and two. Philadelphia 76ers because Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and others have. Con- 
contracted the COVID-19 virus. Philadelphia has lost three games in a row. They are falling now to eight and five in the number four seed in the Eastern Conference after being uh, number one just a few just a short time ago, Cleveland, Miami, the New York Knicks, seven and five, Toronto, seven and six with the number eight seed, and Milwaukee, the number nine with a six and six record. And then the rest of the conference, you got Charlotte coming back down to earth at six and seven, Boston still still trying to find their way at five and six, Indiana, five and eight, Atlanta still with Trey Young thinking that the regular regular season is just a bore. Losers of five games in a row, they're now four and eight, and then. Orlando and Detroit, even though I like what Detroit did in their game against Houston. Yes, they're playing a team in Houston that's won one game, but uh, I like that matchup, Kate Cunningham versus uh, Jalen Green. That was that was fun to watch. That was a f- game that was fun to watch. Normally, Detroit and Houston isn't going to spark any type of uh, thoughts and feelings of excitement, but that game was uh, pretty good. So, you know, from the Eastern Conference, man, you know, you're, you're thinking about, okay, when is the when is it going to be? When the Brooklyn Nets finally overtake the Wiz, my Washington Wizards, and the uh, Chicago Bulls for the best record in the conference. Even without um, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant is playing at an all-star level. James Harden is slowly getting himself back into shape. And when you take a look at the Washington Wizards, who have reinforcements coming with Rudy Hachimura on his way back from personal uh, leave of absence. And then you have Thomas Bryant coming back from a torn ACL. He's going to be available sooner rather than later. The one thing about the Wiz, though, Bradley Beal hasn't been playing well, and they've been getting some really good contributions from guys like Kyle Kuzma, guys like KCP. Montrez Harold had regained his form from a couple of years ago when he was the uh, NBA six-man award winner. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie has uh, been a nice acquisition. The, the Washington Wizards, Tommy Shepard, has done a fabulous job in turning John Wall into Russell Westbrook, which allowed them to make the playoffs, and then turn that into cap flexibility, turn that into uh, the uh, uh, obtaining some good players, solid players, professional NBA players. And, you know, sure, there's a log jam at the forward position when you take a look at Hachimura coming back and then you got Demney Avia, the first round draft pick from last year. You have to see what he's all about. You're going to, you know, you have Kyle Kuzma and such. So then you have sort of a log jam at the, um, at the forward position. Davis Bertans is another guy who's getting regular rotation minutes. So, you know, when is the talent level of the Brooklyn Nets, namely Uber talents, top five, top six, top seven players in the league talents in Kevin Durant and James Horton, Harden going to go ahead and do their thing and, you know, take a stranglehold of the Eastern Conference? And when are the Washington Wizards going to fall back down to earth? And how much stock can we put into what's happening with the Chicago Bulls? Man, that, that team who many people thought, yeah, DeMar DeRozan, nice pickup. Yeah, they go ahead and got Vucevic on the um, midseason trade last year. Yeah, nice. They've got, um, you know, the acquisition, the free agent acquisition of Alonzo Ball of uh, Alonzo Ball and uh, Alice Caruso was such. But uh, despite those two, who's going to play defense for that team? DeMar DeRozan ain't going to play defense. Zach Levine isn't going to play defense. Nikola Vucevic isn't going to play any defense. Who is going to play defense on that team? Patrick Williams was being counted on to play defense. He uh, injured his wrist. He's going to be out for the rest of the year. But those guys have been playing really good defensively as a team. Vucevic is going to miss this upcoming six-game road trip, West Coast road trip because of the uh, coronavirus. Next podcast, I'll get into that a little bit more. But uh, so far, the Bulls, man, Caruso has been a solid contributor off the bench. 
I don't think I'm going to go Mark Jackson talk about how he's the greatest human being who ever walked the face of the earth and put on basketball shoes type of stuff that he type of narrative that he tends to do from time to time with players. But, uh, you know, he's been great on the defensive end. Um, you know, Lonzo has been great on the defensive end. Point guard being that natural pure point guard, allowing guys like uh, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine to do their thing. Uh, Vucevic hasn't reached the type of offensive level that he's used to with Orlando, but then again, he's playing with a score in Zach Levine, who I think the carryover from his experience with the Olympics is one of the reasons why he's been playing so well and why, in turn, Chicago has the record that they're having. So I think if you're going to be asking who's going to be the first to fall or who's going to be the one to fall back to preseason expectations quicker, whether it be Chicago or Washington, I'm going to go with the Wiz. And I think if one team is going to succeed expectations, again, I'm going to go with the Bulls over my Washington Wizards. With that team that they have, Washington is top five in defense. There's no way that there's no way that they continue continue to take that up to uh, keep that up. But uh, Wesenfield Jr., veteran of the coaching ranks in the uh, in the coaching positions, finally got his chance after almost two decades to be a head coach and. Uh, Doing a fabulous job so far with my Washington Wizards. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us in the Western Conference. Golden State Warriors had the best record in the league at 10-1. Phoenix, second now with a 7-3 record, have won six games in a row. Kudos to Monty Williams. Kudos to Chris Paul for uh, you know playing well even during this Robert Sarver nonsense. Utah, 8-4, and four, the number three seed. They've been what we thought they were with the Utah Jazz, even though Rudy got himself kicked out of a game against Indiana the other night, and the Utah lost to uh, the Pacers. Dallas, Denver, Clippers have 7-4 records. Clippers, surprisingly, without Kawhi Leonard, 7-4 records. They've won a couple of games in a row. The Los Angeles Lakers, number seven seed, 7-5 seven records, won two games in a row. Another podcast when I got more time, I'll break down Russell Westbrook. I'll break down the hot shooting of Carmelo Anthony. I'll take a look at the long-term tenure of the Lakers. How long is LeBron going to be out? They say another one to two weeks. Anthony Davis nursing some annoying, nagging injuries, but nothing to uh, keep him out of the lineup. Westbrook still getting his uh, feet wet still doing what he needs to do and try to learn what the best fit for him can be with this Laker team, even though so far it hasn't been working out with Russell still playing like Russell from Oklahoma City in terms of his usage, in terms of you know him dominating the ball, but without LeBron James, who's going to be another creator on that team? Malik Monk had a good game against Miami, but you know on a consistent basis, if you're looking for somebody to um, you know compete, looking for somebody to... Um, What's the word I'm looking for here? Create for himself and for others with all his warts and with all the shortcomings without um, LeBron James, especially from the perimeter, it's got to be Russell Westbrook. So you live and die. You keep your head above water till LeBron comes back. But then again, when LeBron comes back, how good is he going to be? How quickly can he matriculate to get back to uh, where he was before? Is he still top three? Is he still top five? We'll find out. If he's not, when he comes back, how long... It's going to take for him to get back to being top three, top four, top five status status in the league. When you're 28, it doesn't take that long. When you're 38, 
It's a whole different story. LeBron is 38. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Memphis Grizzlies, 6-5, are the number 8 seed. John Morant still playing fabulous basketball. Highlight real basketball. Sacramento and Portland have 5-7 and seven records. I'll talk about Neil O'Shea and that situation a little bit later on in my next podcast. And what does it mean for Damian Lillard? And basically, what does it mean for teams like, say, the Philadelphia 76ers, who still have a Ben Simmons problem? And it's hoping that somehow, some way, that Portland can relieve them of that by having Damian Lillard come out and say, fellas, not working. Gave it a great shot. I'm not going to be Kevin Garnett with Minnesota. I'm not going to be that general. I'm not going to be this generation's Kevin Garnett. Get me to a team where I can win a, a championship, especially after winning a gold medal. I still got the taste of victory and championship in my in, on my tongue. I'm not ready to swallow back to being mediocre. Get me out of here. So Philadelphia is hoping, praying, wishing that that day comes. Maybe this news about Neil O'Shea and some of the bullshit that he did might uh, exacerbate the situation in Portland where Lillard says, get me out of here. And then the bottom five teams in the conference for the Western Conference in the NBA, Oklahoma City Thunder, the San Antonio Spurs, the Minnesota Timberwolves, losers of six games in a row, Houston, losers of nine games in a row, and then New Orleans, 1-11, where that team is teetering very, very close to being irrelevant by the end of the month. So there you go, man. That is... That is my take. That is my run through. That is my breakdown. Those are my thoughts and opinions. We're speaking about the NBA more on my uh, on my next podcast. But uh, yeah, so far, so so far this season, I mean, COVID has uh, been a major player in terms of uh, dictating some of the records that these teams have. Um, early season, such players as Luca. Is not getting themselves back into a game shape. Luca, after being the best player in the, in the Olympics outside of Kevin Durant, we thought that maybe with a new cast members, a new coach, that uh, maybe he would uh, come in in a little bit better shape, a little bit more motivation. But uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. That doesn't mean by you know game thirty two he's not you know rip roaring and being one of the best players in the league again, bar none. But uh, it is what it is so far with Luca. Um, great beef going on with the Jokic brothers and. The Morris brothers after Markeith or Marcus, whoever, whatever Morris cheap shot at Jokic, uh, uh, Jokic and then Nikola got revenge by uh, giving giving him really a pretty bad cheap shot. Both of the cheap shots were bad, but Nikola's was more vicious and more dangerous than the Morris brothers. But now you have those guys going back and forth on Twitter, and it'll be interesting to see the next time that the um, – Sons, what was this, uh, Marquis? Who did the Morris Twins play for? Who are they playing? Oh, that's right, Miami. So it'll be interesting the next time Miami plays um, Denver. It might be a situation where, you know what, go out there, get in the fight, and let's get it over with. I mean, do what you got to do. Cheap shot them, do whatever. But, you know, just make it quick. Make it early so it's not going to be later on in the game where it's going to affect the outcome. Just go ahead. We'll start you. Do the goon move on Jokovic. Get yourself a flagrant two, and then... It's over with. Then it'll be done with. So all of those things happening in the NBA. Zion and the Pelicans. Ooh, I can't wait to talk about them. He's still injured. He's still fat. He's still out of shape. When he comes back, he's still going to be on a minute restriction. What does this mean for the future of Zion in New Orleans? What does it mean for the Pelicans in New Orleans? Brandon Mingram isn't playing. Tanking, shall we say? Should the Pelicans start tanking? What does it mean for... David Griffin, the GM, won a championship, was part of the championship 
put together the championship in Cleveland, but uh, doesn't have LeBron James down in New Orleans. And when you have Drew Holiday, got rid of him. And when you have uh, Lonzo Ball, got rid of him. And you see how bad this team is. <sighs> hmm. The reasons why just become less and less, uh, you know, less and less uh, acceptable as time goes on. So we'll see. So, yeah, man, the NBA rocking and rolling. Always love speaking about, talking about the love of my life as far as sports is concerned. The NBA. Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, good morning, good abend to all my homeboys and homegirls out there in Germany. Konnichiwa, wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Shalom, namaste, que pasa, mi amigos. What is going on? Wendell's world is sports. Taking you through a journey of what's happening currently in the world of sports today. Spoke about from things, my thoughts and opinions, my feelings about the NBA. Now, let's get into the NFL. Week 10 has started. Last night, the, uh, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. AFC again. I don't know, man. Can you give me some hints? Can you give me some answers? Can you give me some reasons? Can you give me your thoughts and opinions about what the hell is going on in the AFC? Every week when we think of somebody, something else happens to where we have to rethink who are top five, who are top four, who are top three is. In the AFC, this week is the Tennessee Titans. Who knows, man? They can lose this upcoming Sunday the way things are going. One of the teams we thought were true title contenders, true conference championship contenders, and they still may be, Baltimore Ravens. How in the flipping the floop do you lose to the doggone Miami Dolphins? For Miami, hey, man, fantastic. Two wins in a row, their second win in about, what, five or six days? Great, wonderful, fantastic. But the Dolphins are 3-7. and seven. The Ravens are looking to do some things. And to lose 22-10, to 10, without question, the best game for Miami, no doubt. Without question, the worst game for Baltimore, no doubt. Even though the game against Detroit, even though they won, could classify that as their worst performance, even though they won. But look, man, Tua Tungavailoa couldn't start because of a fractured finger on his hand, left hand, throwing hand, threw for 158 yards on 8-13. 158 yards in relief of Jacoby Brissett, who passed for 156 yards. He was 11 for 23 before leaving the game in the third quarter because of an injured right knee. Um, I, I, what what in the world? The, the offense for Miami was so inept, so anemic in the game with Brissett that the fact that Baltimore couldn't do anything because of offensive ineptitude and the defense that Miami was playing, combination of both, 
they were still in the game. And you just thought, okay, this is going to be another Detroit where they're just going to go ahead and win ugly over a really bad team. Because what was it for most of the game? Three to three, then six to three. I know Miami led three nothing, and then it was six to three. So it was just like with Jacoby Brissett at the helm. I mean, there's not going to be too many opportunities for Miami to move the football. So you're you're just thinking that Lamar is going to do what he did in the second half against Indianapolis on Monday Night Football a few weeks ago, and coming back home to uh, Miami that he was going to pull this out. But the defense for the Dolphins were was fantastic. Ended Baltimore streak of 51 regular season games with at least 14 points. The second longest such streak in NFL history, only behind the 63-game uh, run by New England and Timmy B by, uh, from 2009 to 2013. I mean, going into this game, why would you think that anything would be different? I mean, hell, the last three games that they played, Baltimore and um, Miami, Baltimore won by a combined score of 137 to 16. I was just kicking back, relaxing, you know, surfing the internet, had the game on mute, and I was just like, okay, when is uh, Baltimore going to go ahead and do what they normally do? And was waiting, and was waiting, and was waiting, and was waiting, and it never came. Baltimore went 2 of 14 on third downs, 304 total yards. Miami's defense held Baltimore to 4.3 yards per pass play. Hollywood Brown and the others, man, I, I, I mean, you know, I don't know what they should have thrown at uh, OBJ. I don't know if that would have made any difference. Probably wouldn't have made any difference. I'll get to OBJ signing with the Rams in just a sec. But, man, I I don't know exactly where you go. I don't know if the Ravens should have been a little bit more aggressive to try to get Josh Gordon. I don't know if that would have made any type of help. I don't know if, you know, somehow, some way, they should have tried to do something to get themselves some wide receiver help. But, you know, um, they're not cutting it right now. As far as giving Lamar some real help, not consistent enough. Mark Andrews, yes. Everybody else, no. No. So after this loss for the Ravens, 6-2, and two, nevermore. Now they're 6-3, and three, still a half-game lead over Pittsburgh, who's 5-3. and three. Game lead over Cleveland and Cincinnati in the AFC North. They're 5-4. and four. I have to ask the question, man. And I have to ask the question. I have to ask my man Tim Mugglesby this question. I'm going to have to ask you, being a Baltimore Ravens fan, this question. How good is your team, man? Seriously. I know you can sit there and talk about six and three. What but really, really, when you how confident are you being a fan of the Baltimore Ravens? How strong is your conviction if you like the Baltimore Ravens about how good they are? Do you really think that they're AFC title contending in the way that they're playing right now? Because let's let's just take a look at this, man. Let's let's go ahead and uh, go ahead and take a look at this. Their best win of the season was against the LA Chargers, right? Thirty four to six. How good are the L.A. Chargers? How good do we think the L.A. Chargers are? I mean, some of those wins that the Chargers had, it was like, yeah, but now, see, Kansas City is like, eh, not as humongous, not as telling as it once was. So, okay, so how good are the Chargers? But then again, how good are the Bengals? How good are the Bills? How good The Bills who just lost to Jacksonville. How good are the Raiders, who just lost to the Giants? How good are the uh, Kansas City football team, who's struggling despite winning? How good is any team outside of maybe Tennessee, possibly? I mean, you know, they're they're licking their chops and they're you know they're they're they're, they're doing the funky chicken after that win over uh, the uh, Rams. Are they now the uh, team, the same team that lost to the New York Jets? I know the New York Jets was a long time ago in terms of the NFL season compared to right now, but how good are the Ravens? Ask me this question. Answer me this question, you fool. How good are the Baltimore Ravens? Six and three. 
Their wins were against Kansas City, not as strong as we thought. And Kansas City was on their way to at least giving a strong possibility of winning that game until uh, Edward Hilaire fumbled. So that was a missed opportunity. Detroit, they only won that game because of a missed of, delay of game penalty from the referees that allowed Justin Turner, Justin Tucker, excuse me, to kick a NFL record 66-yard field goal that bounced into the uh, heavens of victory for the Ravens. Indy came back against Indy. They were down 25 to nine with 12 minutes left to go. Thanks to a block field goal attempt and a missed 47 yard field goal attempt at the end of regulation. Lamar Jackson had to account for what 500 of the 523 total yard from Baltimore to save their ass in overtime. In that one, a few weeks ago, they beat Minnesota in overtime 34 31 with the exception of the chargers. Who are they blowing out? Who are they looking good against? Who are they going? Ah, yeah. Championship contenders. I see what performance have they've given because so far they haven't so far they haven't the Ravens against Miami the first drive kicked the field goal and that was it see you later after that the Ravens got a 19 yard gain on an end around to uh Dumervay, and then their next drive a 15 yard catch by tight end Mark Andrews later on in that first quarter and then that's it man they didn't get a play longer than 13 yards until the fourth quarter did they go to sleep? Did they get hubris? Was it boring? Was it because it was Thursday night? Because they partied a little bit too much in Miami? Maybe they were looking ahead to the partying time in South Beach in Miami? What was the deal here? Maybe stopping at Lamar's house? Maybe get something to eat? I don't know. What was the deal here? So I don't... I don't. But then again, in a couple of weeks, we could be back to uh, talking about how Baltimore is one of the best teams, if not the best team in the AFC, because... Um, Tennessee could shit the bed against New Orleans this week, and then we're right back to, well, who's the best, who's this, who's that, who's that? Indianapolis could be that team on the run. They blow out Jacksonville this weekend. I mean, we have to start talking about them, right? I mean, why not? What about New England? Bill Belichick, you going to go against Bill Belichick? You don't pull on Superman's cape. You don't, you, know, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off of Old Old Ranger, and you don't mess around with Bill Belichick even without Tom Brady. Now he's got a defense. Now the uh, team, New England, is getting better and better. I said on the podcast uh, yesterday or last uh, my last podcast that um, they shouldn't be real threats to Buffalo. I don't know. What do we make of Buffalo? 9-6 to six against Jacksonville. Another anemic performance, two in a row after the less than stellar, less than, uh, I don't know, I don't know, acceptable performance against the Miami Dolphins, even though they won, yeah, I know the same two Miami, the same Miami Dolphin team that's won their last two games, but still, Buffalo didn't look good on offense against the uh, Bills, or excuse me, against the uh, Dolphins either. And then they crapped the bed against Jacksonville. So what? They go out and blow out the New York Jets. What the hell does that mean? Does that mean that we solidify them? Does that mean that all of a sudden now New England might not be a threat? What happened to New England goes out and beat Cleveland the way they do it? Cle- uh, New England very rarely unless they play a team like the Jets or someone sorry like that. I mean, they don't have the offense that are just going to be blowing people out the water. They're going to be winning by wide margins. So they're playing a Cleveland team without Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Chubb out because of a COVID and Hunt out because of an injury. So the Browns are going to have to be limited. Our Browns are going to be limited on uh, offense. So what happened if New England beats them 27 to 14 and the Bills beat the Jets 31 to 14. I mean, are you convinced that uh, the stranglehold in the AFC East continues with the Buffalo Bills? Are you? Would you be encouraged 
by the New England Patriots more than the Buffalo Bills because New England put the smack down on Cleveland and the Bills beat a lesser team in the Jets, even though the Patriots are at home and the Jets are on the road. What happens shit? What, I mean, what, what happens here? We're speaking about this whole nonsense with Cleveland and the OBJ situation and all that stuff. What happens if the Cleveland Browns beat the New England Patriots? What if, what if, what if? Baker Mayfield playing for that contract extension. All of a sudden now that we start talking about, hey, Cleveland 6-4, and four, great win against the... Uh, against the Patriots, doing it without their most important offensive player, dealing with the whole Odell Beckham Jr. saga and nonsense. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, hey. And what, what, what do we say about that? What do we say then about Cleveland? We could do this with so many teams in the AFC, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You're going to, I'm going to go on a limb and say they should get their victory against uh, Detroit at home on um, Sunday. What did that say about them? Where did that leave them in the discussion? When really, they should have lost the game against Chicago thanks to uh, some um, bad penalties. They could have easily lost that game to Chicago. So you beat Detroit and all of a sudden now the narrative changes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The Chargers, Minnesota. I don't know. I don't know. Denver, you know, playing in uh, Philadelphia. Denver's 4-4. Four and four. It's, The AFC is a mess. And then we get to Sunday Night Football where Kansas City and the Raiders. When when are we going to stop talking about, hey, you know, maybe maybe this is going to be the game the Chiefs are going to turn things around. Maybe this is the game Kansas City is going to do this. How many times? Is this the seventh team? Is this the seventh week in a row we've said, hey, here we go. Now, if Kansas City does well against the Raiders or does well against this team, I think that they'll be on their way to being the Kansas City football team of old. When are we going to stop saying that and just say, hey, but maybe this is just the Kansas City football team for this year. Maybe we need to, you know, hold off on the, hey, maybe we'll turn things around until next season. Because right now it's not happening. Right now on offense and defense, it ain't happening. And we're just because it's Patrick Mahomes and we have recent memory of how good the Kansas City football team is, is that, you know, we're just going to, uh, it's just, we just need one drive. We just need one quarter. We just need one play to all of a sudden have Kansas City magically return to what they were three years ago. I don't think that's happening. I don't think that's happening. So, mm, it's interesting in the AFC. I didn't even get to the NFC. I'm not going to get to the NFC. I'm moving on to the biggest news of the week here on Wendell's World and Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. I want to speak about this Odell Beckham Jr. deal going to the Los Angeles Rams, what is Les Snead doing in terms of getting these uh, players here? On Thursday afternoon, ESPN insider Adam Schefter reported Beckham finalized a deal with the Rams. He signed a one-year deal. He's set to receive $4 million from the Browns after being placed on the waivers. So don't worry about it. Odell is not working for slave wages. What one source told ESPN was Beckham was released from the Cleveland Browns. And once that was finalized, he... Counted the Rams, Kansas City, Green Bay, New Orleans, New England, and Seattle among his most desired destinations. But he decided to go with the Los Angeles Rams. I think he lives out in L.A. I'm not quite sure, but I know he spends a lot of time out in L.A. And all of his buddies, LeBron and all them, are out there. And he's close to Hollywood. And he's single. And he's 29. And he's rich. So he can bang a whole lot of good-looking broads out there. So it's like, hey, why not? Playing with the most... Um, complete offense in the game so far this season. When you take a look at the Rams leading the NFL in total offense, Stafford 
playing at an elite quarterback level, leading the NFL with over 2,700 passing yards. Cooper Cup is the team's number one receiver and quite possibly an outside shot of being the most valuable player in the league, the best wide receiver in the game right now, leading the league in receptions, targets, receiving yards, touchdown receptions. Robert Wood makes a wonderful number two guy. You have Tyler Higsby as the tight end who's very service, serviceable. So the rich just keep getting richer. So with Odell Beckham Jr. joining the squad, as I talk about it here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with George Truly, Wendell Wallace, the expectations now for Sean McVay and Les Snead and this L.A. Rams team is Super Bowl. No, 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 no. Not, not winning, not, not winning the conference championship and then losing in the Super Bowl, especially the crapshoot that is the AFC right now. The expectations now is you win the Super Bowl or it's a major disappointment. Not an all shucks, not a doggone it, not a well, nice try, not an attaboy, not a well, we'll let's give you some um, participation medals and some orange peelings. No, it's um, win the Super Bowl or else we start thinking about really what we need to do here. Because I think now with Odell Beckham Jr., let's be positive, half glass full, all right? The Rams getting Odell Beckham gives them, what, a two- to three-year window to win as many Super Bowls as possible? I didn't say win one, okay? With the talent you have now, barring some type of catastrophic injury, you have a two- to three-year window to win two to three Super Bowls, okay? Huge disappointment, none. I don't even think you will make it to year three if you don't if you don't win a Super Bowl this year and next year. I think there's major changes. I think if you don't win a Super Bowl this year, changes are going to be made on the coaching staff. If you don't win after two years, I think there's going to be a major change at the head coaching position. So if you don't win a Super Bowl either this year or next year, I'm not in I'm I'm not hanging around Stan Kroenke. I haven't talked to Stan Kroenke about expectations and what happens if you don't meet those expectations? I'm not privy to those conversations, but from the outside looking in and giving an ignorant uh, view of the matter because I'm not privy to those conversations, if he doesn't win two Super Bowls, let's put it this way. If I was the owner and I'm paying that much money to build that stadium and to bring that team here and to uh, pay this money, I'm firing somebody if I don't win a Super Bowl this year or next year. Don't give me some nonsense about us losing to a 44-year-old quarterback. Don't give us some nonsense about living about losing to some leprechaun out in the desert as a quarterback who runs around a lot and relies on DeAndre Hopkins to make plays for you. Don't tell me about some diva who thinks that the vaccine is uh, Joe Rogan is the uh, expert of vaccines and he wants to walk around and dupe people and be a Karen out in Green Bay. Don't don't tell me about losing to that squad. Okay, don't tell me about losing to some clown named Jerry Jones out in the Dallas Cowboys whose defense couldn't stop shit next, uh, last season. Don't tell me about that nonsense, about a quarterback who's coming back from, hanging his, from having his ankle turned around the other way. And we're going to lose to that squad after we go ahead and we acquire Von Miller? After we go ahead and we acquire Odell Beckham Jr.? No, 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 no. And we already have Matthew Stafford who we acquired as an upgrade to Jared Goff in this offseason. And we're going to lose... We're going to lose to some flipping team called the Arizona Cardinals. We're going to lose to some guy who's married to Giselle Boochton. We're going to lose to some team who has a Karen as a quarterback. All it be a great. He's a great Karen as far as quarterbacking is concerned. But we're going to lose to this guy who's already had one foot out the door and is pissed off at the world because people think that he's a snake and that he's a uh, liar. After his latest episode of uh, duping, trying to dupe folks about whether he's vaccinated or not, my squad, my team is going to lose to that? To those clowns? I don't think so. So, Sean, 
get it done. <laughs> when you're driving around the complex and you see uh, folks out there eating chips and you want to give them some Campbell soup, you better go into the uh, meeting rooms for the offense and defense and wide receivers and do the same thing if you see those guys eating something that they're not wanting to do. Because guess what? If you don't win a Super Bowl this year or next year, that's going to be your major source of income. Running around doing commercials for Campbell's Soup because you're not going to be employed here. <laughs> Comprende? <laughs> so, you know, hey, after losing to New England 13-3 in the Super Bowl after the 2018 season, look, the Rams didn't make the playoffs the next season. And then they lost in the AFC Divisional round pretty handily to the Green Bay Packers on the road uh, last uh, season. So you've got Aaron Donald, you got Jalen Ramsey, and that's it, man. That's it. And then you're getting OBJ. What OBJ are we getting here? Everybody's like OBJ, OBJ. But what what guy are we getting? Are we getting? We're not getting the guy who uh, set the world on fire when he first came into the league with the New York Jets. A fractured ankle and a torn ACL within a matter of four years will do that to you and age. Not not happening. So what, what, what are we doing here? We're not getting the OBJ scoring 35 touchdowns the first three seasons and 4,000-yard seasons in five years. We're not doing that. We're not getting that guy. Does, o, does Odell Beckham Jr. know that? Does Odell Beckham Jr. know that, hey, man, look, the white boy's going to be getting most of, the, uh, most of the passes thrown to him. So, you know, it ain't a race thing. It's just that he's a better football player than you think. You know, that, that I don't know. I don't, I'm just saying, I'm just saying people, one thing I'm not worried about is Odell, you know, being salty about, um, um, you know, if he doesn't get his touches or whatever like that. I mean, if he's winning, if they're winning, you know, Beckham Jr. has never been on a Super Bowl championship contending team. So, um, hey man, unless you're completely being shut out, which, you know, Matthew Stafford is not going to do that. Sean McVay is not going to do that. You have no room to be whining and complaining. If 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 you think about that, I'm not saying that he is, but any type of uh, thoughts or feelings about that, you know, if the team's winning and doing their things, Odell is smart enough, I guess. I don't never never met the man, never talked to him, but I'm going to guess from the outside looking in that he's smart enough not to uh, rock the boat like the Hughes Company out there in L.A. Because up through now, we sail through open storms. And I've always had your tender lips to keep me warm. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And you get Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and Dallas, as I mentioned before, as contenders, true contenders. So we'll see. Um, real quick, Cam Newton signing with the Carolina Panthers. Agreed to terms on Thursday. He was previously, speaking of Newton, who's 32, by the way. He was previously a free agent after being released by the Patriots in August. Remember, he lost the position, the starting quarterback spot to Mac, Mac Jones, because him and Bill Belichick got a thing going on. He spent nine years in Carolina, speaking of Newton, from 2011 to 2019 after being selected at the number one pick in the 2011 NFL draft. Um... You know, the reason why he's back on the team, because Sam Darnold suffered an injury. Shoulder surgery. Last week, he got injured against New England, put on injured reserve, which means he'll miss anywhere between four and six weeks. And they needed a quarterback, and they weren't getting Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Newton, come on down. Now, the Panthers organization believes that they can make the playoffs. David Tepper, now in the fourth year as owner of the Carolina Panther. He already had three losing seasons. He's told people in the building that they have one goal, which is to make the playoffs this year. So I'm interested to see what consequences are going to happen if the team doesn't make the playoffs because, A, I don't think the 
Panthers are going to make the playoffs, and I don't think Cam Newton is going to be the person that's going to be able to get them into the playoffs. If anybody was going to get them into the playoffs, it was going to be Christian McCaffrey, but I don't know exactly what his injury status is, and even when he does come back, A, I don't know how effective he's going to be, and B, I don't know how long he's going to last before he becomes injured again. So Cam Newton, who couldn't beat out Mac Jones for the starting quarterback position, and don't believe any of the bullshit about, oh, yeah, man, uh, Belichick had this plan. and No, 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 Belichick wanted um, Belichick wanted Newton to be his, his QB, wanted to be his starting QB, but Mac Jones beat him out fair and square. So if Cam Newton, who couldn't beat out Mac Jones in New England, what makes you think that all of a sudden in a couple of weeks he's going to go ahead and turn around the Carolina Panthers, who've have lost five of their last uh, six games and are at the bottom of the eight of the NFC South at four and five. And when you have a remaining schedule at Arizona, four and six, Washington, five and six, Miami at Miami, six and six, Atlanta, let's be optimistic, seven and six, at Buffalo, seven and seven, Tampa, seven and eight, at New Orleans, be optimistic, eight and eight, and then at Tampa, eight and nine, Something tells me 8-9 doesn't get you into the playoffs, or even somewhere around that doesn't get you into the playoffs. Not when you have Tampa, not when you have New Orleans, not when you have um, Green Bay in the other divisions, and not when you have Dallas and such. Not going to be happening. So, P.J. Walker, second-year quarterback, has only started one NFL game. He's going to start for the Panthers on Sunday. Don't, don't, uh, Don't know what that means. Don't know what that means in terms of maybe... Matt Rule should have asked exactly what do you what's what's going to happen, Coach? Uh, what's going to happen, Dave? Well, he's Dave Tepper. You don't call him Dave, Mister Tepper. Let me ask you, what exactly is going to happen if we don't make the playoffs? Uh, because come on, man, whose decision was it to pay Sam Darnold to get Sam Darnold and pass on a Justin Fields or pass on a Mac Jones or what, what, what's we're paying? How much? How much is Sam Darnold going to be getting guaranteed next season? Oh, 18 million. Uh huh. Whose decision was to, um, whose decision was that? Sure wasn't mine. Maybe it was. I don't know. Anybody got any tape? Mm-hmm. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us real quickly. Aaron Rodgers took a moment to acknowledge his role as an athlete with the fans that look up to him for misleading statements that was made on the Pat McAfee show. Uh, this past Friday, he went on the show on Tuesday and apologized for not following the league uh, COVID-19 protocols. And he said, I acknowledge I'm a role model to a lot of people. God, I hate when athletes say that bullshit. I made some comments that people might have felt were misleading to anybody who felt misled by those comments. I take full responsibility. And if you're um, relying on Aaron Rodgers for your COVID-19 and vaccination information, you are a fucking moron. So if you're relying on Aaron Rodgers, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, and anybody and any other celebrity, Kyrie Irving and such, if you're relying on those people, you are stupider than hell. So your brain was probably euthanized. Rogers playing his white privilege card by stating that he plans to stay out of the politics between the league and his COVID-19 policies. He he went Laura Ingram. He said, I'm an athlete, not an activist. I'm going to get back to doing what I do best, and that's playing ball. That's the best thing you can do, Aaron? You're not a you're not a good human being? That's the best thing? The best thing? You're not as far as the inner person that you are? Smart, intelligent, being a good friend, being a good boyfriend, being a good son, being a good, I don't know, being good to those who you care most about? You're a better football player than you are that person, 
Okay. All right. All right. Maybe you're maybe you're awesome at both. You're an awesome football player. So hey, you know if you're if you're you know only five percent worse of being a human being than you are of a football player, you're still fucking awesome. So he said, "Quote: I share my opinion, and it wasn't one that was come to frivolously. It involved a lot of studying and what I felt like was the best interest of my body." So you're you're playing scientist now, huh? It involved a lot of studying. Who were you studying? Who who exactly were you studying? I'm not going to get into the whole nonsense again. It's just, you know, it's over with. It's over with. But further comments, I'm going to keep between myself and my doctors. I don't have any further comments about any of those things after this interview. All right. That's fine. I mean, you know, that's, that's fine. Now all of a sudden he's playing dumb. You're doing a lot of studying on this though, Aaron. I mean, you know. If you're doing a lot of studying on this and you're being a role model, maybe you should share some of the information about what uh, you found that led your led to your decision about not being vaccinated. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's your choice. It's your choice. I just wish that you would just go by the protocols and not try to dupe people. If I know that someone's not vaccinated, then I can go ahead and take the proper steps, if you're not, to go ahead and make sure that I'm safe from getting the COVID. But if you're giving me the okey-doke, again... Hope that he uh, apologized to the locker room too. Maybe the locker room knew. I don't know. And one more thing before I go and take a boogie break. Aaron, please. All of these things you said about, hey, you know what? I'm sorry if I let people the wrong way in. I'm a role model and everything. Aaron, please. The only thing I ask, you could even go ahead and, and comment about COVID vaccines and who you're studying and my body, not your body, my decision, not your decision. I mean, you can go ahead, man. It's America, Jack. You can go ahead and speak as freely as you want to, man. Just go to any microphone that you want to. Here, come over to this microphone. Here, here you go, Aaron. Use this microphone. This is open to you. My house is always open to you. You want to go ahead? We can do a Zoom interview, whatever. You can go ahead. You can, you know, speak for speak for days. I'll edit it out. The terms of uh, what your thoughts and feelings are about the vaccine. The only thing I ask, please, don't ever, 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 when you're dealing with this. Ever, ever, no more quoting Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X or Medgar Evers or Jackie Robinson or W.E.B. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, uh, Paul Robeson, no one else from the civil rights era or anything else regarding civil rights, black rights, black community. Please, no more no more quoting those people if, if you're going to be speaking about the vaccine. Now, if you want to be speaking about unity, if you want to be speaking about love, if you want to be uh, speaking about respecting others, if you want to be speaking about equal opportunity, if you want to be respect, if you want to be speaking about those things, then go away, man. Go for it. You can quote all the MLKs and quotes and the Malcolm quotes and the Booker T. Washington quotes and the Frederick Douglass quotes and the John Brown quotes and the Marcus Garvey quotes and, you know, Joe Lewis quotes, Muhammad Ali quotes. You know, Jim Brown quotes, Bill Russell quotes. You can quote you can quote the quotas of the quotes when it comes to that. If you're going to be speaking about, hey, you know what, to, 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 to use those quotes to try to uh, bring about equality and love and peace and unity and harmony for everybody. Go ahead, man. But just stay away from that bullshit when it comes to uh, the COVID-19 and you feeling crucified over the situation because, you know, you, you felt your... You, know, you you felt because you shared your point of view and now you're being crucified for it. This is like something according to people that he knew some people would disagree with him, but he didn't know that it would become such a shit show or shit storm become the shit storm it became. People who th- he thought 
where friends are now turning on him. What friends are we talking about here, A-Rod? Are we speaking about friends and people who are turning on you? Are these people in the NFL? Are these your friends who are coaches, players, upper management from other organizations, possibly Green Bay, maybe San Francisco, maybe Denver? The only reason why I say this is I know how much Aaron Rodgers loved to hold a grudge. So it's like, uh, okay, you know, what are we what are we doing here? What are we talking about here? So, you know, interesting times out there in the world of professional football. But please, man, when you when you're speaking about I'm, I'm glad when he said that, you know what, uh, I'm not going to be speaking about this comment anymore. I'm glad he didn't end the interview by saying, but further comments, I'm going to keep between myself and my doctors. I don't have any further comments about any of those things after this interview. I'll be free at last. Free at last. Thank God almighty. I'm free at last. I'm glad that he didn't. I'm glad that Aaron Rodgers didn't go that route. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Speaking now about college football, let me rip, roar, and run through this because, uh, you know, it's getting near the end of the podcast, and I just want to start talking about my Georgetown Hoyas. The season is almost here, and I want to be speaking about Georgetown. Got my uh, got my appetite whetted on Tuesday by watching some uh, college basketball, so the final team that's going to be playing on Saturday will be my Georgetown Hoyas. So I'm just going to go ahead and talk about what's happening in college football because of right now, really not too much. It was uh, an eventful Final four, shall we say, in terms of uh, where we're going to be going, what's going to be happening, who the final teams were. Yes, Michigan State, because they lost to Purdue, that knocked them out of the number three spot. And what that means is that the Oregon Ducks are going to be moved up, or they did move up to the number three spot. So if you take a look at the new final four, if the season ended today, which of course it doesn't, but if you're taking a look at the top four schools, they would be number one, of course, Georgia. Number two, Alabama. Number three, Ohio State. Number four, Oregon. Then number five, outside looking in. Number five is Cincinnati. Six, Michigan. Number seven, Michigan State. You might ask the question, wait a minute, how did Michigan State get below, drop below Michigan when just two weeks ago they beat them? Huh? What? What's going on here? Don't ask. I don't know. I don't know. I don't ask. And every time I talk about the selection committee, I play the same tune over and over again. And while that same tune might be the quality of uh, Otis Redding or someone that a Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops would sing or a, or a Marvin Gaye or I might be doing some rapping that might sound like Rock Cam or it might sound like Cool Mel D or it might sound like Heavy D or it might sound like I'm really dating myself in terms of my taste in music even though these thoughts and my feelings about the college football playoff committee might be as soulful, might be as smooth, might be as fantastic as John Coltrane's on these My Favorite Things or something like that or Alabama or something like that. 
I'm not going to say it again, man. Again, I don't know. I have no idea how these guys come up with it week to week. I don't think these guys know how they come up with it. Check out some of my other podcasts where I speak about to get more in depth about how, why they come up with these things, how they come up with these things. And the bottom line is they need to come up with a 12-team playoff. Everybody knows that. It would be great for the fans. It would be great for the Power 5 conferences. It would be great for the non-Power five power, uh, 5 conferences. It would be good for the sport itself. But, you know, in its stubbornness, in its narrow-mindedness, in its greed, and in its uh, selfishness, Boxing and college football, the folks who run boxing and the folks who run college football, kind of like, they kind of like had this kinship in terms of what, what, what can we do to really bring out the most, to really reach the expectations or really reach the potential of how popular the sport could be? Well, we could do this and that and this and that and this. Nah, I don't want that because that might hurt my pocketbook or that might hurt how much money I get. So now... We're going to keep doing it the same way, and while it's ignorant, and while it's closed-minded, and while it's not uh, forward-thinking and everything, really doesn't matter. So now we're not going to put the best boxers in the same ring with each other, and now we're not going to have some type of commission to go ahead and protect boxers and maybe set up something in terms of a pension or unionize the fighters or something like that. No, we're not going to do any of that stuff. We're just going to continue to do the same bullshit. We're going to continue to put on $80 pay-per-views where the main event is the only thing worth watching. We're not going to try to build up any type of fighters uh, in, in any sense or any sense of the words. We're not going to do any of that. We're just going to do any everything that's going to uh, justify how much money we can make and at the expense of the fans and everybody else. Same thing with college football. What can we do to get the biggest reach of fans who can go ahead and watch our sport? And if you watch our sport, then maybe we can go ahead, maybe you can go ahead and financially support the sport the sport by maybe buying merchandise, maybe going to a bowl game, maybe going to a playoff game, maybe doing something. Maybe your child might see your team play in the first round of a 12-team playoff and fall in love with the atmosphere and fall in love with the shots at the campus and fall in love with the 30-second infomercial that they have promoting the school. And because of that, your child wants to go to that university and that child might become the next, I don't know, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Albert Einstein, John F. Kennedy, Steve Jobs, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg without being a scope about being a low life you know maybe your child had that type of talent and because of that first round of the playoff she sees that school participating in and she falls in love with the campus she falls in love with the atmosphere that's being shown on television and as i mentioned before during halftime where they show their promotional commercial that your daughter or your son falls in love with it and says mom dad god damn it what's your child doing saying god damn it at her age mom dad doggone it that's the school i want to go to and you're Child turns out to be the second, the female version of Steve Jobs, some shit like that. So, you know, college football doesn't think that way. College football is like, no, nah, no, nah, we don't want to have any of that. We just want to continue to have Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, maybe uh, maybe a uh, Oklahoma, maybe possibly somehow get try to sneak into Notre Dame, maybe have the same same folks, same schools, same programs, year after year after year, and say, hey, Cincinnati, hey, at least you guys get to play in the Peach Bowl. You guys were awesome. I really respect your school. You guys are fantastic. Way to go. I really love what you're doing. But here's an invitation to the Cotton Bowl. Congrats. Or maybe you can go ahead and you can play uh, Kansas State. Congrats. So, you know. Whatever with that nonsense, man. But, you know, games of importance this weekend. You have number six, Michigan, at Penn State. 
Number eight, Oklahoma at number 13, Baylor. Here's a chance for Oklahoma to go ahead in a school that's undefeated and in the Power Five Conference, yet and still ranked below Cincinnati. So maybe the condition, the uh, selection committee can take a look at me and, you know, flip me off and do everything and curse me out and call me all kinds of names without going into racial slurs and say, what the flip do you know about putting stuff together, huh? Mr. We don't know what we're doing about college football. Cincinnati, number five, Oklahoma, number eight. How's your argument right there, biatch? But I will but I can come back and say, yeah, but guess what? If they beat Baylor, then they go ahead and they beat um, Iowa State at home and then they go ahead and beat Oklahoma State. Don't tell me that you're not going to leapfrog Oklahoma over Cincinnati, especially since Cincinnati hasn't been beating their opponents 73 to nothing. So you can't, you can't give me that bullshit either. So, you know, look, Baylor coming off of two straight losses, not the, not the team that uh, hopefully Oklahoma was going to be getting AKA undefeated. So we could go ahead and again, have style points, go ahead, have that, have that uh, big game in terms of their resume is concerned, but I go back once again, the selection committee, what are they determining? How much emphasis are they putting on strength of schedule? How much are they putting on records? How much? Maybe there's a couple of guys in that room who think Baylor is just fucking awesome, man. That Baylor is just fantastic. Or maybe going into that game against Oklahoma, maybe there's some on the selection committee that feel that, you know what, Baylor really ain't that good. Their record before they had those two losses really aren't the team that we think they are. So even if they did play Oklahoma and Oklahoma beat them, maybe it was a competitive game. Maybe the final score being 42 to 31 or some nonsense like that. Not 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 a down-to-the-wire type of game, but not a blowout either. There might be some in that selection committee who's saying, eh, you know what, they only beat Baylor by 11 and Baylor really ain't that good. Or we could have, wow, you know what, I think Baylor's fantastic and they, only, and they beat them by 11. So, wow, that's we don't know. We don't know. We don't know how much is that going to play into what type of jolt, what type of jump beating Baylor is going to have. So, yeah, we could sit there from a promotional standpoint with the networks and say, ooh, number eight, Oklahoma versus number 13, Baylor. What does it mean? What does it mean? Probably if Baylor beats Oklahoma, does that eliminate Oklahoma from any type of playoff with them being number eight? When one loss, Michigan State has a way to get back in there. Michigan has a way to uh, get back into the uh, uh, chances of getting into the Final Four, realistic chance of getting into the Final Four. What does it mean for Alabama, who is already in the championship game or already in the uh, playoffs despite having one loss? Now, if they lose in the SEC championship game to Georgia, yeah, they'll be eliminated. Should be. But if they beat Georgia, then, you know, despite the one loss, they should be in the final four. So from that argument, from Alabama standpoint, I could see that. Georgia basically is probably, they play Tennessee. If they go ahead and they win things out, if they go ahead and run the table for the regular season, then in all actuality, win or lose in the SEC championship game, they're going to be in there. So, you know, what, what does it mean going all the way back? Ohio State has one loss to Oregon. Oregon has one loss to Stanford. What would it mean for Oklahoma, ranked number eight in the latest coaching or the latest poll for the playoffs to lose to Baylor? What happens if they lose to Baylor, then they go ahead and they blow out Iowa State and they blow out Oklahoma State? And then maybe Michigan State squeaks by. Now, Michigan State can say, hey, you know what? We beat Michigan and then we beat Ohio State. We won the rest of our games. I don't know, man. I don't know. You see how I start thinking about these things and I get myself a headache? 
You see how you start thinking about these things is like you have no idea in terms of what to expect, what to come up with, and you're just more confused than you ever were before about how you come up with a acceptable playoff format. The only teams that you could say without question deserve to be in that championship game would be if Alabama ran the table, beat Auburn, uh, beat Georgia in the championship game, they deserve to be in. Despite losing to Texas A&M, despite being very overwhelming this past weekend against LSU, despite all of those things, the fact that they're, they've only lost once and they beat Georgia on a neutral field, hey man, they deserve to be in. And Georgia, hey man, their dominance and everything, unless Alabama beats them like 72 to 6, which highly doubt that happens, how can you um, omit Georgia? from being in the playoffs. If you just take a look, just what, just based on one law to the second best team in the country at that time, supposedly, allegedly poll wise. So Georgia and Alabama under those scenarios would be the two teams that would be in the playoffs, but everyone else, everyone else. Okay. Ohio state runs the table and beat Michigan and Michigan state. And okay. Michigan state wasn't supposed to be this good this year. Michigan always loses to Ohio state. I mean, how good is Michigan? Maybe we can go back and take a look at some Michigan games and say, well, you know, against this team, they weren't all that great. And against that, what was the last great game Michigan had? If you take a look at the season, what was the team that, or what was the game where they played against where it's kind of like, yeah, wow, Michigan, this, that, and the other, where Ohio State beating Michigan is something where it's a feather in their cap to say, wow, yeah, they definitely deserve to be in real contention for a playoff spot. Why, just because at the time, Michigan is ranked number six? How good do we know? How good is Michigan compared to Oklahoma? How good is Michigan compared to Notre Dame, who had the loss since losing earlier in the season to Cincinnati? And how good is Cincinnati compared to uh, Oregon and Ohio State and Alabama and Michigan? and Mich- I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm tired of talking about this bullshit. Georgia is playing at Tennessee. Purdue is at Ohio State. Purdue ranked number 19 after they beat an overachieving Michigan State team. And then Washington State is at number three, Oregon. Washington State, watch out for them. Washington State has come around very nicely since they fired their uh, head coach. So in the totality of things, I don't know. It's giving me a headache. There's your preview. There's your watch. There's your thoughts. There's your opinions about what's happening in college football. Am I going to be watching on Saturday? You're damn right I am. But uh, again, Coming to the conclusion of who's in, who's out, who's in, who's out. I don't know. When it comes to that nonsense, when it comes to that bullshit, I'm out.
Windows World of Sports, the last segment of the podcast, the last segment of this podcast episode. What's going on, y'all? What's happening? K-Pops and me, amigos. Bonjour. Bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle. Good morning. A good abend. Windows World in Sports. A lot of things that were spoke about today on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening as the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics are ready to tip off. Let's see what Milwaukee can do to get on the right side. Let's see what uh, Boston can do get, to get on the right side. Make that way to 500-ville. Make their way up to Averageville and then move on from there. But uh, the game is going to be started. So let me go ahead and get this done so I can go ahead and start watching me some NBA basketball. But uh, saving the best for last and the piece to resist all speaking about college basketball and then ultimately getting them to the loves of my life, the Georgetown Hoyas college basketball started on Friday. The farewell tour for Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski started. At Madison Square Garden in New York, beating Kentucky, the number 10th ranked team in the country, 79-71. Duke came in ranked number 9. Um, as I mentioned before, at the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden, Duke uh, had freshman Trevor Keels, who was recorded, recruited by Georgetown, scored 25 points. Early season candidate for the number one player drafted in the 2022 NBA Draft. Pablo Pablo Banchero scored 22 points. I was watching that game. I was going back and forth between the NBA game and the uh, Duke and Kentucky game. And as I was watching uh, Banchero, and he was in and out of the lineup in the second half because of cramping. But the one thing that I saw, and we're going to be evaluating this kid as a guy who's going to be one and done, a guy who's going to be going into the NBA draft, and a guy who many prognosticators feel that if he's not the number one pick in this upcoming draft of 2022, NBA draft that he's going to be one of the top three or four players drafted. The one thing that I saw that uh, he's going to have to improve on is that outside shot. Now, I think a 6'10", 250 pounds, I think that, uh, you know, here's a guy who can, uh, from about 19 feet in, can really do some things. I mean, the jab step, the fundamentals were there. The jump shot from about 17, 18 feet was there. The ability to uh, take the um, defender off the dribble was there. I mean, finishing at the rim was there. All of those things, Banchero displayed at Madison Square Garden that first game for Duke again only a freshman but if he's going to be looked at looked upon to uh, do some things in terms of uh, making an impact uh, in the league he's going to have to improve that jump shot he's going to have to move that thing out to the uh, three-point line and I'm not talking about the college three-point line I'm talking about the NBA three-point line he was very reluctant in that game against Kentucky to shoot the three-pointer I don't know if it was first game nerves I don't know if because of his uh, deal to try to get Shashevsky uh, his you know last win at Madison Square Garden in an important game like this that uh, he just stuck to what he knew best what he was uh, most comfortable with what he was having the most uh, advantage on the most uh, success on as far as driving to the hoop um, you know situating his offensive game from inside of the three-point arc and doing some things right there as I mentioned before added 22 points but man if you're going to go to the NBA and you don't, you're, you're not that uber athlete. You're not that freak of nature in terms of an athlete is concerned. Like you're not Giannis to where, you know, you're six feet nine and you got an, you know, an arm span that will, you know, make you feel like you're seven feet four in those long ranging steps. And you're not this uber super athlete that can uh, get to the rim and still finish even though the defender is laying off of you. Benchero is not that type of athlete. So if he's going to uh, really go ahead and do some things for a team once he gets into the NBA in about 13, 14 months, then he's going to have to improve the range on that jump shot because right now it's about 18 feet and in. And in the NBA, if you're 18 feet, 18 feet and in and that's about it, um, 
I don't know. Is he worth the number one pick, or is he worth the you know number three or four pick in the draft? I don't know. I don't know. But that's something to uh, look at. That's one of the things that I observed while I was watching that game, Duke versus Kentucky. Hey, man, first game of the season. This game means nothing. It's a glorified exhibition game. Yes, it counts, but in the bigger scheme of things, both Kentucky and Duke are going to make are going to be making the tournament. Or shall I say this? Making the tournament, not making the tournament is not going to be dependent upon this game against uh, with Duke playing Kentucky, Kentucky playing Duke. That's not going to be the bell cow. That's not going to be the measuring stick in terms of making the NCAA tournament or not. Kentucky, who lost this game to Duke, that's not going to be the reason if they don't make the tournament that they're not making the tournament. It's because of some of the bad losses that they'll have in conference, in the SEC conference. Same with Duke. So this is just, again, a way where the winner is cool because you get to pad your uh, SOS and you get to pad your um, you know your your quality wins and such depending upon the outcome of the season for either team but you know this is just a way for these coaches to uh, you know have a uh, glorified exhibition game and to see what works see what not works see what rotations see what lineups work and everything and we go on from there because either team wins the uh, tournament championship conference uh, tournament then who cares what uh, happens in the regular season who cares what happens in these preseason games Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us so as I mentioned before Coach Krzyzewski and Duke number nine in the country 79-71 victory over Kentucky take a look at the stats though and you're thinking to yourself how did Duke exactly win this game for the most part it was a hard-fought game it was a close game but in the second half for the most part Duke uh, maintained their, their their lead and never came down to a one possession game late in the contest. But when you take a look at the stats and the fact that you see that Duke on 13 three-point attempts only made one of them, 13 three-point attempts only made one of them, that's 7% homes, and you see that they were out-rebounded on the offensive glass by 10, 19 to 9, you say to yourself, how in the world did Duke win this game then? Well, they won it because they shot 50% from the field overall, making 31 of 61 shots, went to the foul line 16 more times than Kentucky, made 10 more free throws than Kentucky. And for Kentucky, look, I saw uh, who was this kid who was hitting the uh, outside shot. There was a couple of tough three-pointers that were uh, made for Kentucky. It looks like they're going to have a guy who can hit some outside shots. But Oscar Toshibwe finished with 17 points and 19 rebounds. Toshibwe, who was highly recruited by Georgetown, transferred from West Virginia, Shavir Wheeler added 16 points, 10 assists for the Wildcats. He was the guy that reclassified so he could go ahead and play for this team, probably try to get himself into the league sooner rather than later. So it was interesting, you know, for the first time in a while, though. Did you did you see this while you were watching this game? For the first time in a while, wasn't it kind of interesting to see that Kentucky were not relying mostly on highly recruited freshmen? I mean, this is the team that started Anthony Towns and John Wall and DeMarcus uh, Cousins and um, Eric Bledsoe and one team where they had Carl Anthony Towns and, um, oh, who else? My goodness, Devin Booker and those guys. And you had a squad that was led by uh, such guys, I already mentioned Wall, by Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Marcus Teague and all these guys, or Jeff Teague, one of the Teagues. But, you know, the foundation for success for the longest in Kentucky, the most important folks who were going to determine the success of Kentucky for a season were always freshmen. Now you take a look at this team for Kentucky to start off the uh, 2021-22 season. I mean, you only started two freshmen. 
And I mentioned that before. Kentucky only starting two freshmen. Guards Ty Ty Washington and uh, Shavir Wheeler. Other than that, you had Tipsheway, who's a junior. Keon Brooks, who was recruited by Georgetown. But he's a junior. Uh, Keelan Grady, he's a senior. That was that rounded out the starting five. And then when you take a look at the bench, that got um, some decent minutes for Kentucky against Duke. There was Jacob Toppin, who was a junior, and Davion Mintz, who was a senior. And I think Mintz was the guy. Well, no, it was Killing Grady, I think, was the guy who was uh, shooting a lot of these uh, very makeable, long-range, good-looking three-point shots. So um, it looks like he's going to be their three-point sharpshooter. But, uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to see Kentucky go ahead and uh, for the first time in a long time with Calipari as coach of the Wildcats, not, you know, see a team where they're starting three or four freshmen who are all one-and-dones, who are five-star recruits, who were, you know, projected or projected to be, you know, lottery picks and such like that. I mean, maybe it's the whole situation where the transfer portal comes in and now Calipari's trying to find a new way to uh, go ahead and win basketball games by plucking some of the gems from uh, players who are transferring from schools, but... You know, I don't think Kentucky, Kentucky's not falling off the map. They have a top three or four recruiting class for the 2022 season, led by Cliff, Cliff Living, uh, Chris Livingston out of uh, Akron, Ohio, who uh, chose Kentucky over uh, Georgetown. So, you know, it's a he's a five-star recruit, one-and-done type of guy. So, you know, Kentucky is not completely gone away from, you know, recruiting the best of the best and getting the best of the best and having, you know, multiple four and five class recruits of four and five stars but it was just interesting in this instance to start the season in the game against a top ranked team like Duke a top 10 team like Duke that they would trot out such a diversity of players from different uh, classes a couple of freshmen a junior a junior and a senior so that was interesting and once again have a junior and a senior upperclassman be the main guy to come off the bench and get the majority of the bench minutes so that was that was interesting for Cal Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Just taking a look at some of the games of interest that I saw from the uh, top-tier schools, the top-ranked schools from Tuesday, Gonzaga, the number one school in the country, the number one basketball program in the country. They've been the number one basketball program for a couple of years now. Mark Few wasn't there because he's serving his suspension from a DUI citation uh, in the offseason, but they beat up on uh, Dixie State. Dixie State up here in St. George, uh, Utah, 97-63. Chet Holmgren, who's supposed to be, they talk about Chet Holmgren being, you know, baby Porzingis, and that's supposed to be set in like a term of endearment. Like this is a unicorn, a guy who's seven feet tall and he's skinny, but he can shoot the three, he can put the ball on the floor. There was a video of him when he was a sophomore, I think, going viral where he crossed over Steph Curry and went in for a jam on an exhibition or on, a, you know, one of these summer camp type of deals. So Chet Holmgren, who was uh, strongly considering Georgetown, but, uh, you know, he's supposed to be the guy that he's in play for the number one pick. I saw him play when he was a sophomore up here at Bishop Gorman during the summer in the AAU tournament. Man, that kid is skinny. That kid is skinny. I mean, he's Kevin Durant skinny in terms of, I don't care how many protein shakes he drinks. I don't care how much he benches. I don't, I mean, he's not going to do PEDs or steroids or anything like that. But even if he did, uh, that wouldn't have helped him try to bulk up in terms of him being thicker or him being, um, you know, putting more weight on. I mean, this is a situation he's never going to look like Zion. <laughs> That'd be something, right? So, you know, it's just interesting to see Chet, who at seven feet tall, he's coordinated as such. Yeah, but, you know, athletic-wise, he's not incredible. And 
you know, okay, for a seven-footer, yeah, he can dribble. For a seven-footer, he can hit the three, yeah. For a seven-footer, he can kind of dribble, drive, and pull up a little bit, yeah. But but that's for a seven-footer. I mean, which means that, yeah, that's great. That's great for a seven-footer, but in the totality of things as far as being a basketball player, that's not earth-shattering. That's not, uh, I mean, Kevin Durant with a wingspan of seven feet tall, I mean, he's, you know, for, for him, the guy's a great athlete. He's not an athlete if you're speaking about in your prime Russell Westbrook or LeBron James. But when, you're, when you've got Kevin Durant's skills and you've got that wingspan, you don't really need to be. His wingspan and his skill, his basketball skills and his intelligence make a good athlete in Kevin Durant seem like a great athlete in Kevin Durant because you have to guard the guy up to 26 feet. And that's seven feet tall. He can put the ball between his legs behind the back, step back, shoot a three-pointer in your face and do it time after time after time after time, which is one of the reasons why he's a top 10, top 15, all-time great NBA basketball player. My point is... When Chet Holmgren, who scored 14 points on 4 of 6 shooting from the field, 6 of 9 from the free throw line, had 13 rebounds and 6 assists while playing center for 30 minutes against Dixie State. When I see him playing, I hear people talk about this unicorn and this guy reminds them of Christoph Porzingis. Okay, are we speaking about the Christoph Porzingis who played a couple of years with the Knicks or the Christoph Porzingis who's been playing with the Dallas Mavericks? And I'm just not even speaking about the injury proneness of Christoph Porzingis. I'm speaking about just him as a basketball player. What does that say for Chet Holmgren? If we're looking at a baby Christoph Porzingis, or if we're taking a look at Christoph Porzingis when he was with the Knicks, and then maybe, as far as Holmgren is concerned, maybe bring that down a couple of notches. Is he still worth a top five pick? Is he still worth a top six pick? A kid ain't going to get any, I mean, he's going to get bigger, he's going to get stronger, but he ain't going to be big and strong enough to where he's ever going to be the abuser. I mean, he's going to be the abusee more than the abuser, especially when he first gets into the league. So it's it's just interesting. It's just very interesting when I'm, you know, with Banchero, who can't shoot the three-point shot, then try the three-point shot in Duke's win versus Kentucky, and then you go to Holmgren, who, as I mentioned before, just... I don't know. He just seemed like a, a good basketball player. I mean, he just seems to be a guy who's good in good in everything because of his size, but he's not great in anything that's going to have him stand out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's a good ball handler, but he's a great he's not a great ball handler. He's a good shooter, but he's not a great shooter. He can dribble drive, which I saw in high school, but he's not the athlete to where he's just going to dribble drive at will and get by people. You understand what I'm saying? The skill set. It's nice, it's good, but he's not elite to enhance some of the weaknesses that he has, i.e. strength and overall athleticism. So, I don't know, man. Maybe the guy comes into the uh, league and becomes the uh, greatest white player since Luka Doncic. I don't know. But uh, from what I saw in high school, and I'm interested to see with uh, him playing his one year at Gonzaga because Gonzaga, before they go ahead and mop up in the uh, their conference that they play in, the West Coast Conference, they're going to have some pretty good games to uh, see what Holmgren is all about. I'm quite sure that the scouts, NBA scouts, are going to be there and licking their chops to see if Holmgren is the real deal because on Saturday or tomorrow, they play Texas, who's ranked number five. Then on the 23rd of November, they're playing number two ranked UCLA. And then they play Duke, which is going to be interesting to see the Holmgren-Banchero matchup if those two are really going to be going against each other, even though I respect that Duke's going to be playing Mark Williams at the center to guard Holmgren to start the game, but on any situation, any possession to see Benchero and 
homegrown go at it is going to be quite a delicious treat for basketball fans like myself and that's going to be on the 26th of November so there's going to be some games some opportunities for Holmgren to show a little bit more of what he's got but uh yeah 97-63 over Dixie State Dixie State in the up-and-coming city of St. George Utah which is about 40 miles away from Mesquite so I've been there a couple of times really nice looking really nice looking town not too many people look like me so it's like no thanks but uh you know I can understand why people live there Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us UCLA speaking of teams that are awesome beat uh University of uh University, uh, California State University of Bakersfield, 95-58, four players in double digits. Jaime Jacquez and Johnny Juzang each scored 19 points. Of course, UCLA looking good. UCLA coming back strong. UCLA getting a boost when uh, Jacquez and, and Juzang decided to come back. is going to uh, bolster the uh, expectations for UCLA, so... That's going to be interesting. It's always great to see a team west of the Mississippi other than Gonzaga really compete and be a power in college basketball. It's going to be interesting now to see UCLA, who, I don't know, it's always been, I think, an overrated type of a basketball program in terms of the love and the affection that the city has for that team. They're not the Lakers. They're not the Rams. They're not the Raiders when they were there. It's just like, you know, when they were winning championships and John Wooden, yeah, every yeah, that's great, wonderful. And name me a, name me a school where they're not a quote-unquote really hype fan base or really good fan base when you've got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and you've got Mike Warren and you've got Lynn Shackelfield and you've got uh, Bill Walton and you've got Jamal Wilkes and you've got Marcus Johnson and you've got those guys winning championships for John Wood in 10 out of 12 years. Of course, you're going to be sitting up there starting off with Walt Hazard and Gail Goodrich. Yeah, of course, you're going to have fabulous fans. Yeah, of course, you're going to have a wonderful tradition if that's the case. What happened during the Steve Alford years? What happened during the Walt Hazard years when he was a coach? You know, outside of Jim Herrick winning that championship with Ed O'Banion, what about the uh, wonderful fans of UCLA where they couldn't pack shit when the team was just above mediocre? Hmm? What about that fan base? So it'll be interesting to see now with the run that UCLA, UCLA had last season if Mick Cronin and the fellas can uh, bring back some of that excitement, true excitement to a uh, poly pavilion you know, out there in, um, where's UCLA? I almost said Inglewood. I know any Inglewood. Where is UCLA? Shit. <laughs> I know it's in Southern California. It'll come to me in a second. So there you go. So other games from the top 20 of interest. Hey man, get an old sucks when something like that happens. Shit, that's going to be bothering me all, all, all night long. Soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to look up UCLA, Pauley Pavilion, it's not Inglewood. See, now I've got Inglewood stuck in my mind and it pisses me off. Oh, old age sucks. So moving on to other games from the top 20 of interest. Kansas beat Michigan State in the Champions Classics. Uh, Kansas looks good. They're the number three ranked team. Number four ranked Villanova beat Mount St. Mary's 91-51. Saw that game on Fox. Tuesday, number five, Texas beat Houston Baptist 92-48. Number seven, Purdue beat uh, Bellarine. Don't don't ask me where that school is. Ninety six sixty seven, and another game of interest because more no mostly with college basketball, especially when Georgetown has been bad for I don't know the last I don't know six seven years. The fact that my main 
my main devotion outside of Georgetown to watch college basketball is to go ahead and take a look at some of these uh, guys who are supposed to be lottery picks, supposed to be doing some things in the NBA, looking for the next LeBron, making, looking for the next Kobe, looking for the next Giannis, looking for the next Luka, looking for the next uh, James Harden, looking for the next great player, looking for the next Jokic, see if I can find any hidden gems, see if I can find anybody in college basketball with a rep who reputation is that they're going to be doing some things once they get into the NBA. So one of the players who's supposed to be this generational great, who's supposed to be this guy that, you know, in six or seven years from now is supposed to be one of the best players, the faces of the league and all this type of thing. He's already been, you know, when he was in high school, as early as being a sophomore was being um, compared to LeBron James, or he was the highest ranked prospect since LeBron James, and he got a lot of his fanfare, or he got a lot of attention, or his name became known amongst those who don't follow grassroots high school basketball, AAU basketball, he got his name because of a YouTube clip that went viral of this kid uh, using and abusing Bronny James and the AAU team that uh, LeBron James' son played on, which is Imani Bates out of Michigan, six foot eight. He'd been compared to Kevin Durant, or he had quote-unquote skills like Kevin Durant, which is he's skinny, he's tall, and he's black. So, uh, you know, and he can shoot a little bit. But uh, I saw him play a couple of times. I saw him play Chet Holmgren in one of these AAU games during COVID. And uh, he looked good. He looked good. He reclassified. So he's going to be playing college basketball for a couple of years. But this is a kid that's supposed to be, you know, the next LeBron James. Now, is he going to be the next LeBron James or is he going to be the next Andrew Wiggins, who was supposed to be the next LeBron James when he was playing at uh, Huntington Prep out in West Virginia as one year of kids? As we were like, gee, I don't know, man. This guy looks like he doesn't want to play basketball or looks like is he even on the court. I have no idea his, uh, he's out there. So he's had an up and down career to say the least, but nothing approaching what the expectations were when he was a junior coming from Canada to play um, basketball at a prep school in West Virginia. So is Imani Bates going to be that guy, or is Imani Bates still Imani Bates going to be the guy that in the year 2026 we're going to be speaking about him along the same lines as Luca or Tyler Hero? Just joking, but I mean, is he going to be one of those guys? So number 12, Memphis, the team that he played for, that he agreed to, many people thought he was just, a foregone conclusion that he was going to be going to the G League, but uh, no, he's not. He, even when he um, first signed with Michigan State as a sophomore, people were like, "Well, he ain't going. He ain't going there. He's going to go to the G League. This is bullshit." Well, they were fifty percent right. They were half right. He didn't play for Michigan State, but he didn't go to the G League. He decided to. I think make a really good decision for him. I think it was really smart to go to uh, Memphis and learn under Penny Hardaway. His game is similar to uh, Penny's and to play and be coached by him for two years. I think that was a really smart decision by Imani Bates. So you see, I don't think that everybody should go to Georgetown. I mean, I think the ultimate thing for him was to go to Georgetown, play for America's coach, Patrick Ewing, and really learn how to be a great player. But, you know, Penny Hardaway is a pretty nice consolation. So in the first game of the season, the first game of his collegiate career, he scored 17 points on 6-9 shooting. Four seven from the three-point line, four rebounds, four assists in 30 minutes. Jalen Duran, the other guy who uh, looks to be about six foot ten, they list him as six ten. Some people say he's closer to six seven than six ten, but a monster down low, six ten, two fifty. You know, uber athlete, unbelievable. Jump out of the gym. You know, muscles upon muscles. The guy that not only do you not want to meet in a dark alley, you wouldn't want to meet him in any alley the way that he's built, um, physically built. He scored 15 points, 7 to 10 shooting, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, 
in 31 minutes the videos that I saw of this kid I mean he's just overpowering folks because of his size and his strength and his athleticism and his girth and such it'll be interesting to see a guy who in these videos never really saw him shooting anything outside of a 12 footer being six foot eight don't know how that's going to play as we move on in the college basketball season and if he decides to turn pro after this his freshman year which in all actuality he will but it'll be interesting to see exactly what he does so those are some of the teams that I saw that I'm going to be paying attention to here at the college basketball season rolls around. Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you could be with us. All right, man. All right, man. All right. Are you ready? Are you hyped? Are you ready to get this thing on? Because <laughs> I am. The Georgetown Hoyas start the season tomorrow against Dartmouth of the Ivy League. Dartmouth, you know, Georgetown's the last team this season to uh, play a game every <laughs> Everybody of consequence in college basketball, Division One, has played their game except for Georgetown. That's okay. That's okay. Hey, you know what? We're different. We stand alone. You got that right. You know what I'm saying? We're unique in so many other ways. Just like this podcast, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Listen to. Georgetown is the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking college basketball team that can be talked about on Wendell's World of Sports. So you got that right. So, starting the season on Saturday, the last but definitely not least against Dartmouth. Lost, um, Dartmouth lost on Tuesday, played Boston College, lost 73-57, to failed to score a field goal in the first seven minutes of the game, so this game against Georgetown should be interesting, right? So Brendan Berry is the team's best player, he averaged 13 points as a junior while shooting 44% from the three-point stripe, Don Carrick, there we go, until he suffered a leg injury which cost him the 2019-2020 season, now because of COVID, the Ivy League was not going to be playing any sports or didn't play basketball, didn't have a season. So this kid transferred over to Temple where he got a little bit of a run. Then for his final year of collegiate sports, came back and the NCAA said, go ahead, you can go ahead and play for Dartmouth. So he is their main guy. So he's going to be an older fella going up against going up against my younger Georgetown Hoyas. And then again, if he's matched up against Don Carey, the age difference will not be that great. But against uh, BC on Tuesday, Barry shot 3 of 13 from outside. So, okay, there we go. The other scoring threat is a fifth-year player, 6'6 six, six forward, Arian, uh, Arian Ray, who averaged 11 points, 6.5 rebounds, shooting 50% from the field against the uh, folks in the, uh, I don't know who he, did that against the year before, I guess, in the Ivy League for uh, Dartmouth. Against BC, he was just 3 for 10. So a lot of these guys <clears throat> didn't play basketball who are playing for Dartmouth. So, you know, for these guys, this is about, you know, trying to shake off some of the rust, which can explain the reason that they played so poorly, especially in the first seven minutes of their game against Boston College. So, um you know, with all that being said, Georgetown should win this basketball game. I don't know if they're going to win this basketball game because I don't know anything about my basketball, my, the loves of my life by Georgetown Hoyas. I, I have no idea. I, ha I know that they're young. I know because of COVID restrictions that none of them had an opportunity to play in the summer league. So we didn't get a chance to see Jalen Billingsley and Tyler Beard and Timothy Eagle Hefe and and uh, Dante Harris and those guys, what they added, Colin Holloway, Kobe Clark, uh, Tim, excuse me, Malcolm Wilson. We didn't see you know, in the summertime, exactly what they put into their toolbox to be used for this upcoming season. Again, because the Summer League, Kenner Summer League, Jabbo Kenner Summer League was canceled because of COVID in the D.C. area. So, you know, I 
didn't get my fix of um, Summer League action at Kenner on YouTube or any of the updates from Casual Hoya and anything. So I'm just frothing at the mouth. I am just, you know, I am just dancing with glee. Y'all say it. I'm so excited that, yeah, I'm dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie and dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas doing the boogaloo and the funky chicken too, along with the kid and playing the James Brown thinking about, man, I'm just interested. I'm just excited to be watching my Georgetown Hoyas play tomorrow. Now, look, I'm a realist. I know that, you know, many folks have accused me of being ridiculous, being, uh, you know, super fan to the nth degree when it comes to Georgetown, thinking that just because I called Patrick Ewing's America's coach, and just because, you know, I think of uh, the Georgetown basketball program as uh, America's basketball team, just because, you know, I, I go to those levels of absurdity that, you know, my vision can be blurry when I'm speaking about the expectations for the team, thinking that they should win the national championship every year. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I know what's going to be happening. I know that for... Most predictions that uh, Georgetown, as far as being, you know, ranked in the Big East Conference, is concerned a Big East Conference that's down. When you take a look and you compare that conference to the other conferences, when you speak of teams that are not just eligible or not just, you know, have expectations of being in the top five, the top 10, the top 15 and 20 as such, but the number of teams from that conference who are supposed to be making the NCAA tournament, I understand that this Big East Conference is not, on the same par, even with, I think, as a little bit down ACC, which has North Carolina, which is a little bit down, the transition going from Roy Williams to Hubert Davis, the last ride for Mike Krzyzewski. We don't know about that team where they're bringing in new players. Leonard, Ham Leonard Hamilton over at Florida State. So, you know, when you speak about that, when you speak about how strong the Big Ten is with Purdue and Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and such. When you speak about, you know, the rise of the Pac-10 where you not just have UCLA, but you also have Oregon. Dana Altman has built himself a pretty successful program out there in, in the Pacific Northwest. When you think about, you know, the fact that you have Texas now with Chris Beard at the head coach and you still have uh, Texas Tech who's going to be pretty good. Beard didn't leave the cupboard completely bare when he transferred job from Texas Tech over to Texas and you have other squads uh, that are going to be competing in that conference. So yeah, I understand when you take a look at the major power conferences in college basketball that the Big East is on the lower end of that and at the lower end of that lower end is the Georgetown Hoyas who are predicted to be anywhere from, I don't know, seventh to last with the medium being somewhere in the, the number nine spot, which is just one ahead of DePaul. So, you know, per, you know, perennial bottom feeders like uh, the um, St. John's and such, even they're supposed to have St. John's with Mike Anderson supposed to be, you know, in contention to be making the um, making the NCAA tournament. I have them like seventh. I think if everything goes right, I think if everything is fantastic, I think for me, a season of glee for Georgetown, if they make the NIT. If they make the NCAA and shock the world, that'd be great. But I think for them to make the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to win the conference tournament because I just don't think that they're... I, don't, I think the loss of uh, Trey King from the center position was huge. I think Cutis Wahab, when Cutis Wahab and the pimp that he had um, you know, uh, sending him over to Maryland, which uh, hurt the program, but I, I don't think Cutis was the key for Georgetown to have that season to get to the NCAA tournament. I think that uh, the person that we replaced him with, Trey King, was a guy who I thought was a better fit for Georgetown and for college basketball. When you think about a guy who could have came in and 
been able to hit a 17 to 19 foot uh, jump shot, a guy who could finish better around the rim, a guy who had better basketball instinct, a guy who could execute a pick and roll a lot better because of, I don't know what happened. He violated some rule from the university, not a team rule or something like that, but a university rule. So much to the surprise of not just Trey King, but also the basketball program. And you look at those guys, the university was like, hey, it's got to go. He's got to go. So Trey King re-entered the transfer portal. So that was a uh, that was a huge blow for B- Georgetown because now we have to go with Timothy Egoefe for being the starting center, who's your traditional six eleven seven foot two hundred and fifty pound a behemoth who who has good uh, athleticism and such. But I don't know how raw, unraw. I don't know as a basketball player what he's going to be like going into his third year with the program. I have no idea. Now, Coach Ewing said that he's in shape and he expects big things from Ego F.A., but, uh, I mean, this was a guy who was a walking file every time he got on the floor. Now, maybe in the two minutes that he was on the floor for him to pick up the three fouls that he would get a rebound or he would block a shot or he would contest a shot, he would do a nice thing or two. But on the offensive side of the ball, he was completely non-existent, which was a good reason because he had no skill to do a back-to-the-basket move. He had no skill to, you know, pull up for a jump shot from eight feet. He had no skill in terms of any footwork to... uh get him to a jump hook or a back-to-the-basket move or under-over or anything like that. So on offense, it was just mainly set the screens, grab a rebound. If you're underneath the rebound, after getting the rebound, if you're right there next to the basket and no one's around, you go ahead and dunk the ball because as a free throw shooter, you're eh. So I don't know, as far as Ego F.A., just based on experience and just based on what he can bring to the table, in terms of experience, I don't know if he can even stay on the... If we're asking Timothy Ego F.A. to play 28 to 32 minutes, I think that's going to be impossible. Because for 40 minutes last season, he averaged seven fouls per game. And he didn't play that much. So I'm kind of leery about Ego F.A. being able to play 24 minutes, let alone 30 to 32 minutes. Then you got Ryan Batombo, Dikembe Mutombo's son coming in, who looks like a good prospect. But uh, I don't think from the few YouTube clips that I saw, I don't know if he has the bulk or the girth or the athleticism to uh, play more than 12, 15 minutes possibly at the center position possibly. He doesn't have the athleticism to go out and try to uh, guard stretch five. So I think his skill set is good. I think that he's fundamentally sound, but you know, I don't know if he's going to have the experience, athleticism, the build, the girth to uh, go out there and play, you know, crunch time minutes after Ego F.A. gets fouls out or something like that with Georgetown in a game against a team that's, forget NCAA uh, tournament talented, but even NIT. So those are those are just some of the, uh, like, I don't know about Georgetown that I have. The realistic, uh, I don't know about Georgetown that I have. So when you take a look at the projected starters for my squad, the loves of my life, the Georgetown Hoyas with America's coach, Patrick Ewing, Dante Harris, Donald Carey, Aminu Muhammad, oh, Aminu Muhammad, Caden Rice and uh, Ego F.A., that's the projected starting five. That's what I see. Uh, And then the reserves, Colin Holloway, Jalen Billingsley, Tyler Beard, Jordan Riley, Ryan Mutombo, Malcolm Wilson, Kobe Clark, Tyler Beard. Now, again, I I don't think that all of these guys are going to play, but because, really, Georgetown hasn't played yet, and we we don't know, I, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be the key. I don't know who's going to be playing. I don't know who's going to be the reserve. And when you take a look at last season, TJ 
uh, Berger is no longer with us. Uh, Jabari Sibley is no longer with us. A lot of the freshman class who didn't get too much run have transferred. So when you're speaking about the returning players, that sophomore class like Holloway and Kobe Clark, I mean, they didn't play enough last season for me to say yay or nay on who's going to be getting major minutes or who's going to be getting a quality minutes as a reserve because Ewing last year basically played a six or seven man um, a squad. So, you know, the, the guys from the starters were the ones mainly getting all the minutes. So I don't know what to tell you about Kobe Clark. I don't know what to tell you about Colin Holloway. Those guys were very, rarely seen. And again, because of the fact that we didn't have Kinder League, I have no idea about Jalen Billingsley or Tyler Beard or Jordan Riley. I, I know that uh, Dante Harris can't play 40 minutes every game. So is Beard or Muhammad or Don Carey? I mean, who's going to be the guy that's going to be playing point guard when Harris goes to the bench? How many minutes is Amino Muhammad, my five-star recruit from the uh, from Nigeria, relocated to the Washington, D.C. area? You're damn right, then moved down to Missouri to play prep ball there before, uh, you know, uh, signing or committing to Georgetown, the first five-star recruit that Georgetown had since Greg Monroe. But, uh, you know, he, I, if I'm, it's, he's got to play at least 32 to 35 minutes if you're speaking to Muhammad. And Ewing has not been shy about playing freshman a lot of minutes. Go see James Akinjo. Go see Mac McClung. Go see Jamarco uh, uh, Pickett. Go see uh, those guys when they were freshmen. Those guys got a ton of, ton of minutes and a ton of responsibility, especially when you're speaking about that backcourt back in the day. When I say back in the day, I'm speaking about, what, three years ago, two years ago, of um, McClung and Akinjo. So I don't think Ewing is... I don't think Ewing is so old school where they say, ah, you know, these young guys, they got to learn first, so they don't play too much. I think if you can play, you can play. So with Emino and Dante Harris last year after Jalen Harris left the team, he got a major minutes at the point guard position. So it's not that Ewing is averse to playing these uh, young fellas. And with Aminu Muhammad, who I think maybe not, if he's not the best basketball player on the team, he's probably the most talented so he's going to be getting major minutes. How much responsibility can he um, can he hold in terms of how how much responsibility can he take on for this team? It's going to be he's going to be one of one of the bellwethers to see how good Georgetown is going to be this year. Hey, look, man, you're a five star recruit who uh, you know is supposed to be an NBA player in a couple of years. So hey, man, it's not it's not unfair. It's not wrong to uh, put that type of expectations on you. So you take a look at the squad. Dante is under six feet. Don Carey's about six five. Amuno's about six three to six five. Caden Rice, the grad transfer from Citadel, is about six foot seven. But he's more of a Scotty Thurman back in the day at Arkansas type of build. He's not a um, he's not a wide, thick shouldered and chest type of guy. He's a three point shooter. He's a great three point shooter. He's a volume three point shooter. He's nothing more, for the most part, than a three point shooter. But you're going to be asking someone of that slight of build who. At Citadel, really wasn't known for even being an average defender. You're going to ask him to be playing power forwards and being physical with those guys. But if you don't have Caden Wright, who are you going to put in there? You can't put in Matambo because he's not athletic enough. Maybe Billingsley, is he going to be ready? There's good reports coming out of practice that he's been, you know, whooping some ass. But, uh, I mean, is he really going to be... You know, is he is he going to be able to uh, compete at a high level on a consistent basis uh, once the um, shots start falling and the play starts going for real? Kobe Clark, undersized. I mean, he's a hustler. He's a guy that can mix it up. He's a guy that plays at 110 miles per hour. And a few times that I saw him, 
um, in the uh, last season for Georgetown. Where, where in the hell are you going to put him? Because shooting-wise and offensive-wise, he's not a shooting guard. Don't think that he's a small forward at a Big East level just yet skill-wise. So where are you going to put this kid moving forward? So I don't know, man. The key players this season here, I've been speaking about the love of my life, the Georgetown Hoyas, coached by America's coach of the great, the one and only Patrick Ewing. Speaking about it on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with George Truly and Wendell Wallace, Don Carey, senior guard, 6'5", 187, last season, 27 minutes per game, 8 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists. Came on strong. Middle of the season there, he was almost like an afterthought when uh, you were speaking about the, the Hoyas, that they were going through their losing streak before the break from COVID. Carey was nothing more than a guy who would uh, just stand at the three-point line and shoot threes. Now, Hopefully, for this squad, his leadership, he's going to be the oldest guy on the team. Maybe him and Caden Rice, I don't know. But for the most part, he's going to be the mature one. He's going to have to show that leadership. And he's also going to have to diversify his game. And he's going to have to probably be the guy that's going to be regarded as the defensive star stopper in terms of he's going to be the guy that's going to be guarding the other team's best perimeter defender. So it'll be interesting to see how well he competes and how well he does in that role. Dante Harris, I mentioned before, Point guard, sophomore, six feet, 170 pounds. Last season, 30 minutes per game. Eight points, three rebounds, three assists. Shot 35% from the field, 26% from the three-point line. That has to improve. Coach Crouch, you know what you need to do with this kid. Let's hopefully, I'm hoping that this offseason that you exactly did that. Work on that man's uh, shot. Not so much, I don't want Dante Harris, you know, being a volume three-point shooter. I think with his speed and his quickness that he can get to the rim, that he can create for others. But, um, yeah, that 35% field goal shooting, that's going to have to improve. Streak shooter. There were games, for instance, like last uh, the game against St. John's at home, the game that uh, Georgetown won 97-94, where he was the best player on the floor. Beat uh, was even better than uh, the kid for um, um, Posh. Oh, the really good point guard for St. John. The name escapes me. But, um, you know, he's supposed to be an all-league player. Dante Harris outplayed him. Didn't do so well when they went on the road. St. John's got their revenge. But it just gave you a glimpse of how good Harris could be so young of the season with the responsibility thrown on him. This was a kid who wasn't supposed to be getting the time to be doing what he was doing. But as I mentioned before, came in, continued to improve, had some ups and downs as a Freshman, but um, played well in the Big East tournament, conference tournament, won the MVP. So that's definitely something to uh, build on. So, you know, I'm going to be counting on him again to be the floor general, to be the floor leader, to up that shooting percentage. Man, get that thing up to at least 43, 44% from the field and get it to the 30s as far as three-point shots are concerned if you're going to be shooting at least four or five per game. If you're going to be shooting four or five per game, you better get your, get it up into like the mid-30s if you're going to be doing that stuff and continue to raise your assist levels and such and maybe get that point total up to maybe 12, 13, 14 points a game. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Timothy Ego F.A., the junior center, 250 pounds, 7 feet tall. As I mentioned before, man, the guy's a fouling machine. Last uh, season, 9 minutes, 2 points, 3 rebounds, almost a block per game, as I mentioned before. In the time that he was in, let's say, for instance, he was in for maybe 2 or 3 minutes to spell uh, uh, Q, cutest. I mean, in those 2 or 3 minutes, he would do a really good thing. He would do an eh thing. 
and he would do well. What the fuck are you doing thing? <laughs> that would be his deal. He would commit. He would commit these fouls where it's kind of like Tim, 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 Tim. You know, one of those type of things. Come on, man. Can't be doing that shit, man. You ain't like you ain't Lagos again. You ain't playing for basketball without borders. You got to be better than that. But then he'd show some stuff where it was like, oh, okay, all right, okay, we got something here, maybe. And as soon as I would say, oh, okay, all right, we got something here, we'd go down and, and you know, commit an offensive foul, setting a, setting a screen where it's kind of like you, 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 you were still moving and the referee's sitting right there looking at you, ready to blow the whistle. Why? Why? So the consistency Ewing was talking about, hey, you know what, in the years prior, because they didn't have it all season to train and such that Ego F.A. came in out of shape or not in the shape that he should have been in and he didn't get the training that uh, he needed to get in the offseason. Well, this season he has, so we'll see what happens, man. I'm, if if Ego F.A. can play 24 minutes and give us six points and seven rebounds per game, and you're damn right, I'm saying us, because Georgetown, those, that's my fucking team. So, yeah, us. If he can give us... Six points and seven rebounds per game while averaging anywhere between 22 and 24 minutes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So, you know, and then we'll figure out the backup center rotations as that goes along. Caden Rice, grad transfer, wing, six foot seven, 215 pounds. Last season at the Citadel, 34 minutes per game, 17 points per game. Four rebounds per game, one assist per game. Again, shot 35% from the three-point line, 41% from the field. As I mentioned before, we're going to need him to stretch the floor. Would love to see Aminu Muhammad and him on the floor together because if it's true that in looking at the highlights, uh, Rice is not just a 21-foot three-point shooter. He's a guy that can stretch it out to uh, 25 and comfortably nail that three-point shot that it's going to open up the lanes for someone like uh, Imunu to uh, go ahead and get to the hoop and, and, and do some things, the ability to stretch the floor so Dante Harris can work with a little bit of space and get to the rim, get to the foul line, or get others involved. Um, someone like maybe if a Jordan Riley, who's uber-athletic, if he gets on the, on the court, um, open up driving lanes for him to uh, explode and use his athleticism. So, yeah, Caden Rice is going to be important, but you know, more importantly, how's he going to hold up on the defensive end if, in fact, he's going to be playing the power forward position in Ewing's small ball offense, which I guess because of the lack of dearth, lack of uh, talent or lack of size or bodies at the three-point line, at the uh, center position, that's exactly what he's going to have to be doing. Kobe Clark, forward, sophomore, six foot six, 180 pounds. Last season, four minutes per game, only averaged 0.5 points. One and a half rebounds, shot 18% from the field. Did I mention before that he had trouble shooting the ball? 66% from the free throw line. Did I mention before that he had a little trouble shooting the ball? Hmm. But he's a dog, man. He's a guy that... Uh, He's going to work his ass off. And the few times that first game that they played, I don't know if it was against UMBC, but, oh, I forgot where he got a boatload of uh, minutes for him this year. I mean, I think the bulk of his minutes came, the, the, the four minutes that he averaged last year, I think 95% of those came in the first game that he played. Then he got injured, but and then he never got back into the rotation. In fact, Holloway, near the end of the season, was playing over not just Clark, but also uh, Jabari Sibley, who was the highest-ranked recruit of Georgetown's recruiting class last season. He's now since transferred to uh, UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso. But um, is it called University of Texas, El Paso by now? Or oh, Don Haskins' school. So, um, you know, Clark got most of his minutes 
in the first game had seven or eight rebounds or something like that showed great intensity showed the ability to want to to go ahead and defend which I mean that should get you on the floor with this squad right if you take a look at uh, the need for defensive players or those with a defensive mentality so you know Kobe Clark plays hard that's not the uh, question there he's going to go out and he's going to give you everything you got but uh, you know we got to work on that skill set because it's nice to be a uh, it's nice to be a, uh, you know, a, a, a Kurt Rambis or a Mark Ivoroni, or look at me showing my age. It's nice to be that guy who's going to be the Dennis Rodman. Look at me showing my age. That garbage man type of player, but this ain't 1980s and this ain't the 1990s. You're going to need some type of skill to get on and stay on the floor. So, Kobe Clark, let's hopefully, let's, let's hoping, we're hoping that you've improved your offensive uh, skill level while maintaining that dogged determination to do what it takes in terms of hustle, defense, rebounding, setting screens, running the floor, all those type of things. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, going on and on and on about what's happening in the world of sports with my Georgetown Hoyas. Yeah, I'm talking about my Georgetown Hoyas. It's game one, baby! You understand how excited I am? I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear you. Your, your, I don't want to hear your negative tones. I don't want to see those eyes rolling. I don't want to see that. <sighs> I don't want to hear that bullshit. This is my squad, man. This is my squad. You know what I'm saying? Don't worry. The outro music is awesome. So hold on. I'm almost done. Speaking about my Georgetown Hoyas, we've got uh, Malcolm Wilson, 7 feet center, 205 pounds. Last season, 3 minutes, 0.4 points, 1.2 rebounds. Attempted only 2 shots last season. He's 7 feet tall. And hopefully that 205 is 225 now. Hopefully that weight and that height was taken was uh measured was was put into the uh put into the programs when he was a uh, freshman even though the freshman looked to be like seven feet and 176 but uh hey man malcolm enjoy it while you can man because if you're like me believe me you'll rule the day when you're that skinny you'll rule the day you'll you'll cry out loud you'll cry uncontrollably when people would say boy you mean one time you were skinny so I don't know how he's going to fit in. I know that he's an intelligent young man. I know that he's a high-character young man. I know that uh, he has a good basketball IQ. I know that he's a hard worker. I know that he has a great attitude. I know all those things. But as, I mean, we're hoping possibly five, ten minutes a game. If best-case scenario, if um, Ego FA is going to play 24 minutes, then maybe Wilson could be there for five to eight minutes possibly and then we'll just see how it goes the rest of the way you know for the regular for the rest of the time i don't know billingsley at the five i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know so yeah freshman of impact Eminu muhammad god bless you jalen billingsley tyler beard i don't know i don't know what to do i don't know what to say about the squad i'll have a little bit more to say maybe i'll do like one of these like facebook or one of these um Twitter or maybe one of these YouTube type of uh, deals. Maybe I'll hook up the cameras after the game is over and talk about my Georgetown Hoyas, my thoughts and my feelings. Yeah, I know we've got a pretty good college basketball slate. And I know we've got some pretty decent NBA um, uh, college basketball games. And yeah, I know we got a pretty good UFC card. I'm back on the UFC now since um, Kamar Usman beat the uh, racist stick out of Colby Cole. Colby Covington. So that was that was wonderful to uh, read about and see. So maybe I'll start speaking a little bit more about the UFC as time goes by. But uh, yeah, maybe I might maybe I might go ahead and do a um, Georgetown uh, postmortem thoughts and opinion podcast after 
the game against Dartmouth or a little bit later on in the day, in the night. Because you know the nighttime is the right time for me to talk about my Georgetown Hoyas. When I lose, I'm going to be pumped. So I'm just happy to see them back in the fold. And I'm hoping that the uh, fan base, that the students are going to be out there. I mean, damn, they're talking about giving away free tickets. Come on, y'all. Come on. Free tickets. Not too many things in life are free. So you might as well take advantage of them. So hope to see a good crowd out there. So. All right, man, that's it. I'm out of here. It's time for me to go ahead and watch some NBA basketball. It's the Bucks and the Boston Celtics. Go Georgetown Hoya, the love of my life. And please, please, as I mentioned before, the first part of my podcast, please do the right thing, man. Seriously, go ahead and do the right thing, man. No more of this racism bullshit. No more of this ignorance. No more of the stupidity. No more of this. Well, you know, the story didn't say anything about race. Can I read some of the comments from these fucking idiots? Uh, the, the story didn't read anything about race and oh yeah if this was a white woman this would be a little bit different and uh, if this was a black girl you know they always got to throw race involved and how do we know and this that and the other I mean come on y'all I mean how 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 stupid do you have to be I mean how again who cares about our generation we ain't going nowhere anywhere close to where we need to be so come on man when you speak this ignorance when you speak this stupidity when you speak this bullshit remember man you, you have children listening Okay, and as, as we've seen in the story that I mentioned in pre-show and the first part of the show, kindergartners calling this poor girl uh, nigger and, 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 and those type of things. And then these assholes are going to have a visual. Fuck your visual, man. Fuck your visual. Put some names onto the people who let this shit happen, and then we can go from there. And then we can go from there. Let's start the healing process. Let's not start the healing process by having visuals Let's start the healing process by having these folks come to the real. Come get some knowledge. And, and let's see if they're able to uh, go ahead and accept it. If you're not going to accept it, then go get, in the, go get in the car and then drive off a fucking cliff. Because we don't need you in our society. But, but for those who want to go ahead, go to Idaho. Go to the outer skirts of Idaho or Washington or Ohio or whatever. Stay there and just fucking don't leave. You know, go deep into the, 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 the places. There's many places in Oklahoma. There's many places out there in Ohio. There's many places in the Dakotas. There's many places in northern Nevada. There's many places in southern or northern um, Florida. There's many places in Mississippi. There's, there's so many places. There's so many places where you could be dumb and ignorant and stupid and racist and privileged and all those, and all those things. There's many more places where you can be that than to be tolerant and accepting and intelligent in those areas. So do me a fucking favor. If you're still going to remain stupid, if you're still going to remain ignorant, if you're still going to be privileged, if you're still going to be close-minded, if you're still going to be unable to grasp the knowledge of respect and understanding for others, do this, man. Go to the outskirts or whatever. Stay there. Go way up in Appalachia and just stay there. Just fucking stay there. Don't move. Don't leave. Just fucking stay there. You know, and you and the rest of your inbreeds can go ahead and have a nice little life. But for the rest of us, hopefully, if you're looking to live in a society where everyone, again, is based on who they are as a human being, not by their physical challenges, not by their race, not by their gender, not by any of those things, please, man, let's go ahead and have this discussion with your children. Let's go ahead and have this discussion with those from different backgrounds than you. Let's see what we can do to, again, start moving this society in the place where it should be. Can we do that? Can you promise me that? Can you fucking assholes promise me that? Probably not, but I'm still going to, I'm still going to hold on to hope. 
Be safe, peace, love, unity, togetherness, respect for everybody. Music. Thank you.